folks. Welcome to episode 162 of Cowboy Shit. My name is Ted Stoven. He is Dustin Edwards, and we are uh, doing an international pod today, Dustin. You're live from the Great South. Yep, checking out uh, a little bit of Gold Canyon this week. Uh, where do we? What are we up to? I was in Dallas last week. You were in Vegas last week. We're we're touring. We're doing stuff. We're on the road. How's things? Uh... For those of you that are listening, Ted's got a beautiful set of bunk beds behind him. and uh, I got the top bunk, obviously. <laughs> the Donnie Johansson bunk bed special. <laughs> There's a whole crew here right now. It's, uh, it's a pretty fun, pretty fun spot. We checked out Barrett Jackson today. That was interesting. Never been there before. Met up with, with uh, we got the gang back together, the, uh, the Scotland gang. So went and saw Jeff Chadwick at his place. And uh, for those that don't know Jeff, he's been with Wrangler for, for a lot of years. And, uh, and so Jeff and Jim and Don and I went to Scotland back in the spring, did a golf trip over there. We had a lot of, had a lot of fun. Those guys, somehow they asked me if I wanted to go and I said, yeah, uh, that'd be fun. So I was their driver. I was half their age and I was their driver. <laughs> That's a good crew. Probably lots of good stories told. Oh yeah. We had a great time. Had a great time. It was a, it was a, it was a lot of fun. So yeah, good to see everybody. Like good to get the gang back together. From the trip, uh, a lot of cool cars we saw today. A lot of a lot of cool like campers and motorhomes and stuff too. There's some really interesting stuff. I was just telling Storm about this. It was called a Earth. I think it was called the Earth Roamer, is what the what the like what it was called. And I was like, God, oh, you better check out what how much these things cost. And she looked up on the website, seven hundred thousand dollars for yes. this. Like, it looks like a on it's on like a like an F four fifty or five fifty. Like it's just like a ton and a half or something. But it's got what? this huge camper on it. And it's full off road with like, I don't know, probably got 36 inch tires on it or something like just crazy humongous rubber on it. So it can go totally off road. Looks like quite the rig. Have you ever been to an auction and accidentally bought something? Ooh, I don't think so. Or if I did, maybe I bought a pair of $20 spurs one time at the local secure <laughs> auctions in Drayton Valley. That's always my fear. Like if you went to Barrett Jackson and you scratch your nose the wrong way. You hate to be stuck with a seven hundred thousand dollar camper, right? What would that be like? Did you ever? I think they better. Have any? Don't you? Don't you you gotta have some bucks. You gotta have some bucks and be registered there, don't you? Oh, you probably gotta be registered. Yeah, but but there was some stuff there that wasn't that expensive. Like there was there was like a couple car, like quite a few cars today because it was Tuesday, obviously, so it wasn't that wasn't that busy. But like there was some stuff that was like five, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand, like barely worth the reserve to put something in there. It's like a fifteen hundred dollar like auction fee to get a car in there. It's crazy. It's funny how the Barrett Jackson, like six figure auction and people put it on a pedestal, but you go to anyone's farm auction anymore and a tractor and a combine go for as much as those. So those fancy cars, you can get the luxury auctions right here in Alberta. Just go to a farm sale with some green stuff in it. And the local Richie brothers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. No, it was, it was neat to see that, but Hey, how's the, how's the rough next to him? Better get our, uh, our, bi-weekly roughnecks update we haven't had a i guess you haven't you haven't had a home game in a while though either you don't have one until well, we, next till next week we went on the road since the last show so we've had two games on the road we went one and one we won in vancouver a decisive victory and then uh, we lost on saturday night in colorado so to the mammoth we're back. the mammoth the, the woolly mammoth got us close game but uh fell victim so now we got a bye week and then next weekend we're back in Calgary for two home games on the February 2nd, February 3rd against New York and Toronto. So be good that, to be back. 
Is that a bit unusual to have two games on a weekend like that? I don't, I don't remember hearing about that very much. No, but we, we got the building for back-to-back nights because it's NHL All-Star break. Oh. So, so now, because of that, we'll have four home games in February. But uh, oh, cool. nice part for us is now we can have the turf down Thursday. We can practice there during the days, pregame. Um, the guys can all come in for one weekend and stay. So it's from a logistics standpoint, it's super nice to have. From yeah. a fan standpoint, back-to-back nights are tough. Most most fans will pick one or the other to come to a game. So mm-hmm. it definitely Some hurts you. Some will do both, but most it definitely it definitely splits the crowd a bit. But logistically, it's it's super nice to have both at home. Fair enough. What and what are the expectations for the team this year? Well, we should a lot of the similar team to last year. And last year we finished second, so lost out in the semis by one goal to go to the finals. So expectations are high. New coach, full new coaching staff. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, there's a couple different new pieces from last year. So the expectation is to be in the playoffs and make a run, but there's some really good teams this year. Some teams have went undefeated or lost only once. So they'll be, uh, they'll be close, but they really, this month in February with uh, four games, they'll be the real, real tell. And we're, we got five games, I guess we go to Toronto uh, the one weekend. So this will be a big month to make our move in the standings. Right on, right on. Your, hopefully, hopefully it goes good. Yeah. There's your what? Sorry, say that again. That's just that's your roughnecks update for the week. Official roughnecks update. Uh, huh. What about what about in the rodeo world? What's going on? I guess we're in the middle of Fort Worth. Uh, Denver just wrapped up. Our friend uh, friend of the show, Keenan Vine, was in Denver. Looked like he had a good trip down there. Uh, rodeo in San Diego went really good. Yeah, looked like they had a great show there. I like the the bullfighter jerseys with the like with the Padres get up. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that was. That was really cool. They've yeah, the big the big runs back. It's great to see the Canadians doing well. I seen Logan Hay had a really good ride. Fort Worth last night. Yeah. Fort Worth last night. Um Kobe Wanchuk. Kobe Wanchuk, Kobe Wanchuk yeah. wins more money in Denver for second place than the guy that wins first. Crazy. Take that. Uh I seen Kyle even got a little bit of money out of there. I seen Bo Cooper was doing well down south. Yeah. Uh, I think he was doing well down there. So it's nice to see the videos of our Canadians kind of picking up where they left off with the NFR and and uh, rolling strong. Seen a bunch of I seen uh, Denim Ross and Trey Galay were winning some checks down there and the team roping. Uh, I seen the Graham brothers won one of those American qualifiers for I think it was like ten thousand or something. It was really really good, good check. For them. Good for them. So yeah, Canucks yeah. are winning some Canadian cash, which is good right now. The shitty exchange. <laughs> Should we make any bold predictions on uh, on the NFR this year early in the season? I never thought about doing this before much. I don't think. Damn early. Well, we better clip it out if we're right. What's yeah, your prediction? What's the I'm prediction? Just, I'm thinking. Uh, I wasn't. I'm not sure what number to put it at, but like we've had a lot of Canadians at the NFR in the last few years. I'm wondering if we should put a number on it, like what our guess is on what uh, how many how many uh, Canadians are going to make make. Uh, like make make the NFR this year. Should we put a number on it? It's so this year we had twelve. I think uh, I think it was twelve or thirteen when you count up the when you count up the breakaway roping, right? Yeah. I'm it was willing eleven to and bet. two. It was thirteen, wasn't it? Yeah, thirteen. That sounds right. Thirteen. I'm 
you count team ropers as one or as two individuals? Oh no, it's all individuals, man. I'm I I'm willing to bet that we go fourteen. Who are we thinking? We're, I'm I'm trying to make a list here now. Or well, we missed this year with the NFR. We missed Colby Wanchuk and Logan Hay. Q Taylor missed it by a spot. Um, Layton, Peak, Ben, Dawson and Dylan just missed it. Jared, Mina. Jordan, yeah, Bo and the tie down. Even Culling, Kendall, and Shelby, and then you and then Culling, and there was probably another steer wrestler that was close. How many is that? One, two, three, four, five, six. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Holy shit. If everybody made it this year, we could have 17. But that would be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven Bronc riders. Seven Canadian Bronc riders if they all made it. That'd be unreal. Wouldn't it? Damn. I'm going 13. You're saying no. 13 again? You said 14 earlier. You changed your mind. 14. So 14. Damn. I like that. I'm going to say a new, well, that would be a new record, I think, 14. But I guess yeah. technically Kendall and Shelby don't count. So 12 would be a new one. So I'm going to say 13. 13 in the like major events plus Shelby and Kendall. Let's say 15. 15 total. You said 14. Uh, let's see 14. if we're right coming back yeah. here. Of course, not maybe not everybody's going to make it, but 15 would be sweet. That still would be two less. And maybe, and how about seven? I'm going to say seven Bronc riders. It's going to be like the rights. Only with the Canadians <laughs> in the Bronx riding. I like that. Yeah, it'd be darn cool. Man, and I guess I got to mention too, our PBR Canada Cup Series is back. Uh, Red Deer, Alberta, February 3rd, the PB Mart Centrium. One big show Saturday night, 7 p.m., getting the gang back together. A lot of our PBR guys, I got to give a shout out. Chad Hartman did good the other day to get a top five in, uh, I think he was top five in Denver and top five in Reno too. Won a round, I believe, in Reno the first night. So kudos to Chad. Getting out there, getting it done, getting a ride in. Weston Davidson getting a couple rides as well. So uh, good to see those guys. Nick Tetz will be back at some point. Dakota Butter, once his shoulder heals up, I think his intention was to be back for for Red Deer. So, uh, yeah. So, so um, I actually got a funny story. We were in Dallas, like, coming back from the market. And uh, Storm went by, went somewhere, and I went the other way for a second, like, in the airport. And she's like, oh, I think I saw Jordan Hansen at breakfast. So we walked by the Chili's and of course Jordan's having a breakfast there. So I had a quick visit with him. And then we get to Phoenix over here and uh, I see this guy walking in front of us, just passing to pass by us. And he's got a wild Rose rodeo challenge finals jacket on. Right. And I'm like, Oh, of course we got to know who this is. So I go and I look at the guy and I'm like, he's carrying his Bronx out on the plane. I'm like, I don't know who this is. And uh, so I get around him on the front and I'm like, who are you? Who are you? He's like, Oh, I'm Kyle Wanchuk. I'm like, man, I've never met you, but it's nice to meet meet you, Kyle. Like I've I just never <laughs> run into him before, so it's kind of fun to 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 run into him at the airport. Isn't he rocking the mustache like his brother now? Or oh what? yeah, like like when I once he said he was Kyle, I was like, oh obviously, yeah, yeah. It's good to meet you, Kyle. Sorry, I didn't know who you were. Yeah, like he's been getting some checks, and I also seen that story. Erickson picked up some checks too. So huh. those are the next. I always think those two are the next two, and like a Q Taylor and. Those guys, I think those are kind of the next group of guys that are coming and they're riding good. So, well, and uh, I hope that uh, I hope that Kyle got his uh, got his what do you call it? Got his qualification or got to go to the next round on the American because when we were talking 
there, he said that uh, he, that they might have like bumped him out of the the next round because he didn't make a tiebreaker or something. So hopefully he's advancing in there and can make the American. I got, and man, so speaking of that, how cool is it that Post Malone's going to that fucking going to the American yeah. now? Isn't that neat? Yeah. Yeah. Didn't he want to do like a collaboration with Coulter Wall at one point? And maybe Coulter doesn't get it done with him yet, but that's cool. Yeah. I like that. I think it's really neat. I I think it's a cool mashup and having those, you know, the American rodeo, I would say was one of the biggest, one of the biggest days in Western sports throughout the year to pay out that kind of money in in one day. And to have, have a guy like Post Malone, like it's totally off out of left field. It's kind of like, Kind of like what Rodeo Houston would do with having totally like different acts, different nights, but this is strictly a rodeo and to have that in the middle. I think I think it's really neat. I hope it hope it goes well. Yeah, it's Houston. You can see George Strait one night and Pitbull the next night, right? Like it's yeah, and then some Spanish band the next night. Yeah, but I think this is unique. I think this is super unique and it's kind of cool. And and uh, what do you think of uh, talking about merging of worlds? What do you think about the UFC fighter that's going to ride? Oh yeah, Cowboy Cerrone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We talked about, uh, we talked about that. So what I'm, what we're going to do though, let's wrap up this first part of the show, Dustin, uh, get okay. to the interview and then stay tuned after the interview. We're going to talk about Cowboy Cerrone and twisted steel from Dana White. going to be a good one, but not to be uh, left out our interview this week with Troy Dunn, 1998 PBR world champion and Austin Beasley, Canadian bull rider, make, make the, made the NFR, uh, back in 2001, I believe the year was, we'll uh, get to the full show, but, Got to catch up with these guys over the uh, over the holidays, and kind of been I've been making an effort to get ahead of these shows for us. So we're kind of like got these shows uh, in the bag. So what, during the winter, when we're all when we're getting busy, you're just getting busy with the season, and we kind of wanted to get things kind of done ahead of time. So enjoy the interview here, though, with uh, with Troy and Austin, and we'll be back here in a bit. Once again, this is Cowboy Shit. I'm Ted Stoven. He's Dustin Edwards. Thank you all for listening. Enjoy the interview. All right, this week on the show, we've got a couple very special guests, two uh, pretty pretty elite bull riders between uh, CFR, NFR qualifier in Austin Beasley and the uh, 1998 champion of the PBR and uh, 1995 and 97 world finals champion. He also went to the NFR. He's one of only two Australians to win the PBR, win, the, uh, win a world title in the bull riding. But thanks for joining us today. Austin Beasley and Mr. Troy Dunn. Thank you guys for, for doing this. Good to have you. Thanks, Mike. So, uh, so you guys got a school tomorrow and the next day. And, uh, I guess this show's not coming out for a little while now, but, uh, but, but the school, tell me how the school came to be. And, and, uh, because Troy, you've been doing schools for a long time, but is this one of the first ones, uh, on, in Canadian, on Canadian soil? Yeah, sure is, mate. Um, <clears throat> first one here. And um, Austin come over earlier in the year, and and um, he was on holiday with his young fella at home, and and um, he called in the home, and we uh, we buggered off and spent a bit of time together, and we had to plan, and uh, Austin come back home, and and um, got it all organised, and um, we got plenty of fellas coming on the weekend, so. Looking forward to it, and we've um, I've had 
heaps of schools at home over the last well I've, I've done my first school actually at home in 92 so I've, I've had a lot of schools and enjoy doing them and this is a gold buckle it's your gold gold buckle bull gear and gold, like is that the name of the schools too troy yeah, I guess so. Uh, yeah, that's that's our company, Gold Buckle. So, I, I suppose that's that's what you you call it. I suppose, mate. Yeah. How long have you guys been doing that for? Uh, oh, I don't know how long we've called it, whatever it is. But I've always just had them, you know, under my name, I suppose. And it's been I don't know how long since we've had the company Gold Buckle, but that's uh, that's what it's been the last probably a dozen years, I suppose. Uh, what about what about you guys meeting each other? Was it? I'm assuming it was in the bull riding, like well, you're both competing because your careers overlapped, obviously. But, but I wonder, there was some, there's probably some overlap when you guys were both leading the different national contingencies of the PBR. Austin, you were le- leading PBR Canada, and Troy, you were PBR Australia. Was there some overlap then too, as well? Is that right? Well, I don't know. I remember <clears throat> when Troy was just a Young fella, he come to my one of my bull riding schools. <laughs> <laughs> Going back a while. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I just uh, uh, I grew up idolizing this guy. You know, my first memory of Troy Dunn was when I was eleven years old at the Cranbrook Rodeo, and he rode a bull there named Katmandu of Wayne Bolds. And, and, and he didn't just ride him, he absolutely clobbered that bull, started spurring him as soon as he turned his head out the gate and hard. I was at the far end of the chutes watching, peeking my head over watching, and I was trying to figure out what all that noise was, and it was him spurring on this bull. And that son of a gun buck, how many points were you, 75 or 80? Yeah. Huh? More like crack 70. Huh? <laughs> Probably closer to 90, but... Um, 90s were hard to come by in 1988, you know, 1990, somewhere in there. And uh, that was my first impression of Troy Dunn. And so I kept pretty close eye on him for the rest of my life. Um, Yeah. Fortunate enough to, uh, fortunate enough to uh, contribute and and, uh, donate some entry fees towards the Gold Buckle Foundation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what what about uh, what like you guys would have would have met what back then? But Troy, how did you ever end up in Canada? I know that you spent a lot of time in Canada early on in your career, maybe maybe throughout the whole thing. But but how did you end up on Canadian soil in the first place? What was the connection there? Was that was it like a wasn't Daryl Church kind of? But he was from New Zealand though, wasn't he? Who like who did yeah. you come over with in the in the beginning? How did that ever happen? Yeah, well, Daryl was already over here, sort of when I got here. But um, I we had a bicentennial series at home in in the APRA, which is a, the equivalent of the CPRA, and we had a lot of US fellows come over and Canadians. So and so I, I kind of got mates with. Um, some of the Campbell brothers, there was Gordon Campbell come over to start with and he stayed at home and and um, and then when I turned up over here, um, Matthew come along and picked me up at the airport so I stayed with him and that was, I, I had no idea, I was this boy from the bush, 
you know, in Australia and all I knew was this was where it was at. In, in North America, I didn't actually really know the difference between Canada and US, but, you know, these fellows were from Canada and, and um, so I thought, well, this was the place to go and I knew these fellows and lined it up for them fellows to pick me up and, you know, there was no phones back then, so I didn't really know, you know, whether I was going to be picked up from the airport. It was something arrangements were made, you know, weeks before, and I just hoped that someone was going to be there. And as it turned out, Matthew was there, and so um, I stayed with him for a fair while there, and he set me up, and I, I organised, I got organised, you know, he set me up with a motor car, and I travelled with some different fellows, you know, to start with, and then, and then. Um, yeah, and I, I started staying over at Strathmore um, with, with the New Zealand fellows and and um, then started travelling, you know, with some better fellows in the in the CPRA like West Sear and, and those sort of blokes and and um, went on from there. But it was it was the best time I've ever had really. Rodeo um, was up here in the CPRA. Hmm. And in the – weren't there – in that Strathmore area, Austin, correct me if I'm wrong here too, but wasn't that, would it be some like some of the Hartel crew, like the, I That's forget right. who they're related to. Is that, isn't that, yep. didn't you stay with them early on? Cause a lot of the, the Kiwi folks stayed with them too, didn't they? That's right, mate. Yeah. It was um, Dixie. Dixie yeah. was there. We, he was stayed there with, with her. And then um, just up the road, Bob, Bob Hartel was there. And uh, there's a few Bronc riders there, Adam Newman and um, Darren Clark. NFR fellows and that radiate from out of up here as well. So yeah, it was a good place to good central place and and um, yeah, we had a ball at those places. What and when did you up going? When did you end up going going down south? Like when did that when did that happen? Once you got to Canada, because if this this was step one, when did you go to the US or did you go to some of the CPRA stuff? And like, did you make did you make the CFR the Canadian finals too? I don't I don't I don't know that stat. I guess you wouldn't have been allowed to back then. Hey, eh? Austin was all Canadian until yeah. No, he was. He won. Uh, won the year end in the CPRA. What 91, 91. 90, yep. 91. Won this like so one season leader, but couldn't but even he, go to the CFR. He wasn't wasn't a Canadian, so he couldn't go to CFR. Oh yeah. no way! What did you yeah. think of that at the time? Like, would you have? It's kind of kind of <laughs> wild that that was the case. I kind of forgot that it didn't change till '08. Yeah, well, it didn't bother. Bothered me too much because I knew what the rules were, and and I remember, you know, Shane Parker. He was in the same boat as was Glenn O'Neill and you know, Bernie Smythe and John Wiggles and some of those fellows that were making, you know, had enough money to go to the finals but weren't allowed. So I knew what the rules were, but I liked it up here, and um, you know, I made the NFR from up here. Really, most of my money that that was one was one up here, so. Um, and then, you know, the, the Canadians really kind of embraced me, I guess, as, as one of theirs at the NFR, you know, whenever I'd ride, the Canadian flags would go up or whatever. So, you know, I was fortunate, you know, that they accepted me pretty well. Mm. And there's not a lot of records from, from that, like, kind of early 90s. I'm, I'm on the Pro Bowl stat side of things a lot of the time and, and see the see that side of it, but... Uh... But two two times NFR, nineteen ninety one and uh a couple years later, what was the ninety five? Ninety five? Yeah. And Austin, you went ninety seven and then qualified in 01 too, right? Or did you go twice? 
No, I just not, I went ninety seven. But did you get did you get hurt one time that kept you out of it another time or what happened there? No, that was same time. Same time, but you had to sit out a couple rounds. You you got did you get? Uh, I was reading up on something and you did you hit 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 heads or something or what happened? You had to sit out a round or two. Yeah, I rode uh, I rode two nights uh, second perf. I, I won second in the round. Bull tagged me in the cheek with his horn, busted all my facial bones, orbital socket, and all the rest of it, and took me out for the rest of the week. Oh. <clears throat> so my NFR was pretty short lived. Oh geez, and that was the one time. That's that's a tough way to do it. That's the way she goes. That's rodeo, Teddy. Yeah. I guess so, eh? He, uh, I wanted to ask though on the, like the creation of the PBR side of things for both of you guys. That was right, right in the middle of your careers. What was what was that? Uh, what was that like uh, as you were competing? I know actually Cody one time. I don't know if he if he said it on the show or not, but I think I think Cody had an offer to buy a share in the PBR if, when when it was time to found it. And he turned him down or something. And the first meeting, I think, was in Calgary. I could be wrong about that. But what was that like for you guys both being in in that world at that time? That was a little bit before my time when they were, you know, when the, the shares were uh, offered out. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, Troy has a good story on that. Yeah, well, I think the first meeting was at, at um, Scottsdale, Arizona. And, okay. um, and I was there in 92 and um, they said, you know, it was, it was going to cost us a thousand bucks. And I said, well, I didn't have the money on me because, you know, when you're young and you're old, you haven't always got a lot of money on you. So I didn't have, have the coin on me at the time, but I said, I said to Cody Lambert, you know, um, I'll see you next week and I'll, I'll fix you up for a thousand bucks. So I didn't see him next week cause I was up, somewhere else and but I seen him a couple of weeks later and I said I got the money I got the thousand bucks to put in he said oh don't worry about it. it's all gone through and I thought well good saved me a thousand bucks but as it turns out it probably cost me four and a half million but uh, I, we still did not too bad out of it because I always um, you know back in those days every time you made the world finals they'd offer you shares and so my wife Jackie had enough sense to buy the shares, and and when it sold for the first time uh, to the New York company, uh, we did pretty well out of it, you know. So um, it worked out good for me financially, anyway. So, so you told Cody you're gonna give him the money, but then they never put you down for a share originally. That that's what happened. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. I said, you know. Man, everything was kind of blasé a bit back in those days, you know. And you know, I, I said that I would do it, so I was going to. And but as it turned out, I didn't see him for a couple of weeks later. So he said it had all it had all gone through, and everybody put their money in. So oh, yeah. So there was, um, geez, did everybody just put cash in? Is that what you're saying? Everybody had like a thousand bucks in their pocket, and they just put that money in. That was that was the deal. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm assuming that you know most fellas probably give them a check. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what the story was with Gaffney, but he, yeah, he put a thousand dollar check in 
and um, it bounced. It bounced. <laughs> <laughs> That's cowboy story. <laughs> That's cowboy shit, Ted. <laughs> oh man. So they, but they uh, obviously he still got a share. Did they boot him out over that? I don't remember what the. I don't remember if his name's on the list originally. Yeah, no, he fixed, he fixed him up. Yeah, he fixed he, him up. He's definitely one of the founders. Yep. Jeez, <laughs> jeez. Well, does it does it mean much difference to you on that side though to have been a founder or not, Troy? Like, what are your? You were still. Yeah, I, I definitely wish that I had had the money on me at the time, um, financially wise, and and just to be a part of that <clears throat> group and. Yeah, part of that history would have been something pretty special, but yeah, it wasn't meant to be. So um, I still remember the day actually Clint Bronga won the bull ride on Unicorn. He was 91. And I still remember the bull ride and how awesome it was. And to be associated with those fellas would have been pretty special. And you're, you're still, even maybe not a founding mem- member technically on that side of it, but I mean, you know, 2005, you're in the PBR Ring of Honor and your coach at Team Australia, the first Aussie to win the world title, and and were the first up until about two weeks ago, I guess till Kai till Kai won the PRCA side of things, um, but but the PBR has been been a huge part of what you've done over your career though, has it has it not? Yeah, for sure. Um, it got to the stage when I was rodeoing in '95 and uh, doing a lot of miles, and and we were doing a lot of touring pros as well and trying to make both the NFR and, and the PVR finals a pretty hectic schedule. Um, and and then again, you know, so I made the finals in 95 and then the NFR and, and the world finals. But so then to go hard again all year in 96 and then it got a little bit political for me. There's there's too many turnout fines and them not setting you up where you'd would have liked to have been and, and, and with the PBR schedule it was it was end up being just I was ready just to, you know, do PBRs and, and do do the touring pros because there's plenty of those by then. Um and do and do the televised Bud Light Cup events. So that was that was a pretty full schedule for me and I, I wasn't getting any younger and um I was glad that you know that came along and and I was I was able to spend more time at home and, and spend more time doing what I, I really like to do, which is training. I, 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 I was a big advocate, you know, for being in the gym and studying nutrition and, and getting the most out of myself on the weekends and, you know, working hard through the week as opposed to rodeoing and spending a lot of time on the road and eating rubbish and smoking and drinking and, all that type of thing. I've done plenty of that. So it was a good time that the PBR come along for me, I think, and um, was able to, I guess, for me anyway, that that was the best part of my career as far as I, I rode better later on in the in my years when I had more experience um, getting on those better balls every weekend. Um was was a bit of a treat, really. You didn't that wasn't a drawing game, and it was a riding game, and so it um, yeah, it was um, back in those days. You know, it was um, it was just something that was new, and it was the flavour of the month, and it was it was good to be a part of early in the piece. Were were you there 
in the transition between when like obviously tough was part of it in the beginning but what was like were you around at that point when he when he kind of got pushed to the outside of the pbr side of things yeah sure was um yeah i used to go to a few with tough because jackie and tracy were friends and and our kids grew up with tough and tracy's kids a bit and so we were, we were around them a fair bit so we got we got to hear both sides and i was on the board as well so we got got to kind of hear both sides of what all went down there and there's always two sides of the story and um it was a bit unfortunate way it all panned out i suppose um for tough it would have been good for him to still be in there i suppose but that's the way it goes and um yeah it was so why it went, I guess. Well, I, I've kind of read a little bit into kind of what happened, and we don't got to get into it, I guess, today, but, like, there's got to be a difference in there somewhere, and somebody had a vision this way or that way, but it was really for the riders early on, was it not? I, I don't want to say that's changed completely, but it's it's definitely a business, and we're in the entertainment business now, owned by one of the biggest entertainment companies in the world. But it was more so the bull riders putting everything together and doing almost everything until kind of till Randy Bernard came along too. Like you guys as the board would have hired, you probably would have been in the room to, that hired Randy at one point right? too, wouldn't you have Troy? Uh, I don't think, um, no, I wasn't there at the beginning. I think I, I started on the board probably about 90, 97, something like that. And Randy's already in there, but Randy, Randy was a big advocate for the bull rider as well. And there was just differences of opinions with Tuff and Randy. And and I think, as far as I'm concerned, I think the, the main issue surrounding where the bull riders lost control or it, it stopped being about the bull riders was when, after the first sale, when, when, the, when, the, when it went to the hands of the you know, the spy capital investment firm in New York, I think that's when that's when the bull riders didn't have any more say. And that, that was that was kind of sad in a lot of ways because um it's it's that way now and, and there's it doesn't matter where you go in the world, whether it's home or Canada or US, wherever, I don't think the guys have much of a say and it's just whoever's running it's more interested in delivering the bottom line for the the big organisations than than um, looking after the bull riders. And don't get me wrong, I think the bull riders have a pretty fair go. It's never been better. Now that they're riding for more money, they're getting on the best bulls in the world. They got the best judges. That's probably debatable. But in saying that, they do what they can to make it fair. There's four judges as opposed to rodeo. There's only two judges. So if anybody comes to me and says it's it's not for the bull riders, well, there's two sides to every story, like I say, and they need to think about that. You know, they, we could still be riding $300 rodeos and getting on rubbish bulls with rubbish judges. So it's come a long way, and like I say, there's, there's always two sides. When did the two-judge system turn to four? Judges. Sorry, buddy. What was that? I'm wondering when it, when did the when did it go from two judges to four? That would have been during your career. Like both both of you guys would have probably changed to four 
somewhere along the way. Yeah. Um, it's more than I could tell you, Tony. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty certain would have been probably around 90, 94, 95. I don't know whether there was – I went to the finals in 94, World Finals, the MGM. I'm not sure whether there's four judges there, but I'd be pretty adamant there was there would have been four judges at the World Finals in '95, and and probably for the most of the year in '95. That oh, that would really? be my assumption, mate. Yeah. Okay, I'm looking at some of these scores, and like '97, you ride Red Wolf. It seemed like how many times did you get on Red Wolf and 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 ride him? I saw, I see at least two for sure, but you guys got along pretty good. Yeah, well. We were two all. I got on four times. Uh, the first time, first time he bluffed me a little bit, and then uh, then I, I rode him to win the world finals. And then not long after that, I rode. I was ninety three on him in Tampa, and then I got on him uh, one year just before we went to Brazil. I think in ninety seven at uh, Springvale, Arkansas. Yeah, he, he threw me over his head and. Broke some ribs, so he was, yeah, he wasn't, just because you'd rode him before didn't mean you were going to ride him again, you know, you are going to be, you were going to be very busy on Red Wolf every time. Huh. Austin, I was looking at some of your stats too and some of the stuff I saw on Pro Bowl stats. You <laughs> on got, Red Wolf? <laughs> not on Red Wolf, no, but did you, get, did you get on him too? I got on him when I was in college. I went to Borat and uh, Cottonwood, California, and I got on that bull in the short round. And I've never been, I've never had my ass handed to me like that, <laughs> quite like that ever in my life, you know? Oh, geez. I was scared to death. That was the year, that was only four months after he stepped on Brent Thurman, you know? Oh, really? And, and so I knew I had a, I knew I was tying my hand to a real deal. And uh, boy, when he, he was a big bull, he filled the chutes and he left there like a bolt of lightning. And, uh, and I rode him for about two and a half jumps. And when he turned back, well, I mean, he flung me, he flung me out of there, and I hit my, I hit the ground on the middle of the arena on my back, and I spun in circles like a turtle in, his, <laughs> in a half shell, <laughs> and I thought, wow, you know, I really got my eyes open to a bull of that caliber because I was, I was pretty young, you know, I'd never been on uh, a bull that, uh, that really, really came with it uh, that strong, you know, and, and so. I'll never forget the the that moment. I'll never forget the feeling of what that bull felt like underneath you. He was uh, he was incredible. Uh, I watched the videos of the guys that ride him, and uh, and none of them made it look easy because he was uh, he was a handful. Yeah. Did uh, you ride in left handed? The a lot of the videos I've seen of Red Wolf, he went to the right. Did he? Did he mostly go to the right, or am I kind of? Mm -hmm. Yeah, is that is that right? Yeah, mostly started right. Yeah, yeah. He looks like he'd be tougher for a left-handed guy. He's tougher. For, he's tough for a nineteen-year-old punk. <laughs> <laughs> um, Troy, I want to go back to when you were when you were uh, rodeoing and going on the PBR side of things. And Austin, this is a question for you too. Like being from Canada to make the NFR, you can do good in Canada, but it takes. Uh, like you got to be on the road a lot and be away from home a ton. And you guys both like, where did you stay when you were away and who were you with in those years when you were, when you were on the road trying to make the NFR? 
Oh, for me, I, um, for me, I traveled with Kelly Armstrong and Robert Bowers quite a bit. Um, there was a handful of us at that time that were pretty wolfy uh, at a high school level and an amateur level. And uh, we all got, we all started out pretty young. You know, I filled my permit when I was 17. I had my pro card when I was 17 years old. And, and uh, you know, the next year I made the CFR volunteer and made the NFR, you know, so um, we just kept pushing, pushing, pushing. And, uh, and uh, it wasn't that I did it on my own because, uh, you know, to win a high school title, I had to beat Kelly Armstrong and, 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 and Rob Bell. And, and, you know, there was some pretty good, pretty good hands that were, that were going BJ cramps and those guys were all the ones there. And so it was, it was hard to win at a high school level, even at that point, you know, because there was just a, there was six or eight kids that could all, you know, be 80 points or, or more in high, at a high school level. Um, so, yeah, I traveled with I traveled with Kelly most of the time when we went, uh, when we went down there and, um, and, you know, he was a great, uh, he, he was a great competitor, you know, he was a great rival, you know, we, we pushed each other to get better and, uh, and we were competing against one another and it didn't see, didn't seem like, we were up against the top 15 in the world. It was still in our truck, you know, so was, who could win more. And so that's how it was for us. Um, you know, I guess at that point, Troy, I think you rode West here a lot, didn't you? Yeah. Early, early in the piece, uh, 91 with Wes and then I had a couple of years in, in, um, Dallas, Fort Worth area where we went with different fellas, Scott Mendez and, Cody Custer and Raymond Wessel and some of those fellas. Uh, and a couple of Australian fellas too, Rodney Lidgard, Hubcap, and Scott Maines and some of those fellas. Um, and then, then I rodeoed back out of up here in 94 with Wes. Um, and then went back to the US in 95, back to Dallas-Fort Worth area and, and 96 and, and finished me sort of riding days out back down there. But... Uh, Scott Fraser in 95 um, and 96. And then then when we quit rodeo and it was more, you know, rodeo from just on your own, going to PBRs on the weekend type of thing. So, but, yeah, Scott Scott Fraser was very good to travel with. He, he like, he did free rough stock and as well. It was hard to get set up sometimes in the PRCA with, with Fraser doing two or three events, but uh, he, him and I used to have a a little log that we keep on our riding percentage because we both we both thought that if we, you know, if we rode most of our bulls, we, you know, we at least win a day money. So we we had a we had a log going there, and he was we we're always neck pretty well neck and neck on the on the riding average, and he was. He was hard to deal with. He'd, he'd make the whistle more times than not. That was Scott Fraser. Well, He's got a kid over here riding at the moment, doesn't he? Is that Cody? Cody Fraser, yeah. Oh, right on. Right on. Cody's uh, Cody's riding in a lot of our PBR Canada events and, and Canadian Pro Rodeos, like CPRA shows too. He's making his way. That's good. 
That's awesome. Well, and so Troy, you mentioned riding percentage. I got two comments. So the first one though is like on the records here on Pro Bowl stats, it's pretty it's not very complete for your career, but out of uh out of the like the ten seasons on record here, the only one where you were sub fifty percent was two thousand and five. And by by uh the numbers you would have been thirty eight years old at that point, which is not young for a bull rider either. Mm -hmm. So, so, uh, what was my, I'm trying to think what my point was, but my, my other comment though, Austin was that you guys like between you and Kelly and, uh, and Rob and, and Glenn was competing at the, at the time too. Um, and Robert, but like, I think that was the greatest era of bull riding ever from Canada. And I think it was pretty cool. that You guys were all going together and at that top level, because I wanted to say that you guys all made each other better and went and traveled kind of like what Jordan and Jared are doing right now. Like, right. They're going and, and making the finals and Kai's in with the, with the right crew. And they're going and making each other better. Uh, but, but Troy, you had to go out on a limb and go by yourself to get a, get over here. It's not a short flight to, to get to Canada or to get to the U S and I can't imagine, like, I, I don't like being away from home a ton, but you, you were never really home for, for a lot of your career. Yeah, well, I went to boarding school when I was grade one, so it didn't bother me being away from home. And most of my school years were spent at boarding school, so it wasn't it wasn't that hard. And I I didn't really mind being on my own that much, but definitely when you talk about travelling partners, they can, you know, you lift each other up, and there's a lot of camaraderie there. And and you know, if you got the right travelling mate, you'll you'll make each other better and and that was yeah that was with scott fraser and i uh with with the with the you know the the percentage log that was just another way we pushed each other and you know there'd be a lot of backwards and forth and hacking on each other when one was ahead of the other and this type of thing and uh it was yeah i think it was the same with wes um uh, be, just being positive and and not you know, lifting one another up, you know, when one fellow's down, well, you always... And the funny part about it, rodeo on too, is that you're all competing for the same thing. You know, you always travel with someone in the same event. So, you know, it's pretty neat, you know, that those fellows still do it to this day. You've got Stetson and Kai... You know, no one was happier for Kai than, you know, when he sensed the world when he comes on the back of the shoot there and Stetson's giving him a big hug. Well, that's that's what it's all about at the end of the day. And um, like I say, if you've got the right, you got the right <coughs> travelling buddy, you you, uh, you can lift each other up and make one another better. And Austin, we kind of, I kind of buried that comment about about you guys and I forgot to mention like BJ you've already mentioned BJ but then even Ruben was up there at a similar time and Rob Bell like I st- I got to say it again but like I thought you guys were were the elite for Canadian bull riding of all like kind of of all time I know that well and even Daryl went wins the world a couple of years uh, like kind of in that era too a few years before you guys and Cody as well but like but there like to have three guys at the finals in the same year I think is you know, I don't know. I don't know when it, when it might happen again, but I, I just I thought that I just wanted to give you guys kudos for going out and doing it. Yeah, you're missing a big one. You're missing a big one, Ted. Wade Joel. Yeah, 
Yeah, and Wade was uh, Wade's, well, too. was he was legend. Uh, he, yeah. he he's a forgotten guy that nobody talks about much, but I, I remember Wade Joel and and the effort that he put out and the talent level that he had. Uh, he won he went to the NFR season leader that year. He didn't have great finals, but he led the pack all the way in, you know. And uh, all us rookies, we were uh, we made it too, but. Uh, but Wade Joel, he he dominated the sport for that season, and uh, you know, and that's not to be forgotten about. He 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 won, he, he won a couple of Canadian titles, but he was a, uh, you know, every year that he went there, he come Sunday he was one of the guys that he he was still one of the guys in the mix, you know. So he was a guy that was, uh, you know, uh, he he was a guy that I didn't travel with Wade much, you know, but um, but. I damn sure paid attention to who he was and, and, and what he was willing to put on the line every time he nodded his head because he got whistles on, on bulls that uh, would have just got guys uh, bucked off at the whistle and, and, he, and he, could, he, he had the ability and the, and the heart and desire to hang in there uh, until the whistle blew. And, and Glenn Keeley was like that too. You know, and Glenn Keeley taught me a lot he taught me a lot when I was young, um, when I wasn't ready to learn or take the lesson, maybe, you know, but, uh, you know, he taught me how to rodeo smart, you know, he taught me how to rodeo on a, on a, on a, on a cowboy's budget, you know, splitting a motel six, six ways <laughs> and, and, and to the penny, you know, uh, if you rode good, if you rode good, you, you went Nate afterwards. If you didn't, you got hungry and you waited till the next one. And and uh, some of those things were tough lessons to learn uh, at the time. But later on in life, I really learned to appreciate what he had to offer by demonstrating that. He didn't tell us anything. He just that was just how he was. And we wanted to ride with him. And if he was willing to let us uh, ride in his car or in our car, but <laughs> if he was <laughs> willing to come with us and, and, uh, and, and break us in to the road. Uh, we were all ears and all eyes. So, uh, we sponged off people like that. And, uh, and that's probably how we learned to adapt to, to life on the road and, uh, and, to still putting out the effort when times got tough and you got beat up and sore and you were, they were, you know, the odds were going against you and you couldn't do much to change it. You learned how to grade it out and, and get things to turn around for yourself. So, yeah. What was your experience of, of Glenn Troy? And I uh, have to look back and, and look, but you must have been in Albuquerque uh, the night that he passed. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't there and, and I just heard about it. And yeah, I, I just remember Glenn being a um, serious competitor and I. And a fair income human, you know, he's awesome bloke. We actually went up to his campsite there yesterday. We went and visited the Keeley Ranch and young Chase took us up there. So I hadn't um, been there before. So it was a moving experience. But, yeah, awesome lad. I, awesome I was, lad. I'm surprised that you didn't end up at their place when you were in Canada because they they I Austin you must have been over there too because they I've heard legendary stories about the practice pen at the Keeley place and the 
in the Quonset. So I was, I'm kind of surprised that Troy, you spent time in the, in the nineties in Canada and you didn't end up at the Keeley place. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, yeah, I knew all the, all the boys, but yeah, never, never made it out there until yeah, a couple of days ago. yesterday. Wow. But yeah. Austin, you had to have some stories about the, the Quonset, the practice pen. Not a lot. No, uh, really? but I knew, I knew all about it. I was out there and I seen, you know, um, I knew enough to know, uh, that there was a lot of value in what he had right there. <clears throat> you know, Glenn, he'd have a tough weekend or he might have a couple where he didn't win much, hit the ground more often than he wanted to. And boy, he'd show up, uh, go back to that Quonset and he'd have, about three bulls around there that he'd practice on, probably have a longhorn and then something else, you know, something else, a couple others, you know, longhorn to jump and kick and snap his chin and raise him up. And, and he'd get on that one, keep his chin down, you know, and, and, uh, it wouldn't necessarily spin or whatever, but, uh, would snap his chin up and make sure he got thinking about that. And he'd have one turn back and, and, uh, Another one, probably something along somewhere in the middle of that. And boy, I'll tell you, he'd give him a bath. Boy, he'd he'd lay a licking on him. He'd take out all his frustrations from the week before on them three poor old practice bulls. But boy, you could tell when when you'd see when you'd see Glenn Keeley have a couple bad weeks. Um, you could tell where he'd spend his time. Uh, it was in that barn. And he'd come back with a vengeance, boy, and, and, and he'd tear him up. He'd tear him up uh, as soon as he got back on track and got back to town. And I'm not talking about ranked bulls. His practice bulls were probably 73, 74-point, 68-point bulls. But they were bulls that he could dominate. He was bulls. They were bulls that he got on, and he knew he was, he knew he was the one in charge. And – uh and he'd do that as much as he needed to until he come back and, and he believed that that's how he felt on any bowl that he drew. And, and, uh, and it was easy to tell, you know, uh, when he was on his game, he, he was a dominant force. So who, who spurred bulls harder, Austin? Was it Troy or Glenn? <laughs> Maybe me. Boy, you put me on the spot, Ted. <laughs> I'm thinking um, of you, that was your first first story was about spurring a bull. So, I know Glenn had some uh, Glenn had some uh, distance. I know that, but but I wonder. I don't know. I got great memories of both of them. You know, uh, I remember the first time I went to the CFR and opening night. Glenn Keeley had Curly Sue, and that son of a bitch turned back, and I mean went out there quick about three or four jumps and was getting away. And then turned back and sucked her back. And boy, I mean, he come, you know, he, he had his foot in his ear and he went at him and just clobbered that bull right from the turn back. And I mean, it was, it was one of the greatest things I'd ever seen. And then I watched Troy when the first time I'd ever seen Troy done when I was 11 years old. And that was as hard as I've ever seen anybody ever spur a bull ever in my entire life to this day. So yeah, I mean, I'll probably say Troy done. Um, but, uh, they were both incredible, you know, they were masters at it. And, uh, and it's a demonstration of control. It's a willingness to expose yourself to the elements of getting bucked off and no score when you're exposing yourself that much on a bull 
especially when they buck, you know, and, uh, and, uh, you know, to me, that really mattered, you know, to me, when I got to see guys that were willing to risk that much when they knew that they were going to be able to ride that bull and win a good check, but they went at it and, and, and through every single thing they had at them, uh, you know, to show their dominance in that sport, you know, that was the part that was impressive, you know, that separates, that's where the elites kind of, you know, split from the pack, you know, and, and, uh, you know, that's where, you, you know, you, you really learn to um, admire and adore people that uh, are, are a step or a level or two ahead of you. And, and you just, you appreciate that you've still got a lot of work to do if you ever want to get to that, you know, to that stage in your career. And uh, I was fortunate to be around both of these guys and, and, uh, and some others too. So, yeah, it was, uh, they're both, they're both legendary. Um, I want to, I kind of, I want to get into the technical side of bull riding and teaching Troy and, and, uh, some of the principles that way. But, bef- but before we get to that, I gotta, I gotta go back a couple steps just to, to Kai. So a couple questions on that. What does it mean for you to see Kai win the PRCA world title? Um, in your, in your shoes, having been the only, only Australian prior to, to win at that level? Well, it was amazing really, because, um, you know, he, he'd been at home for a little while. Uh, he turned up, his father brought him home, you know, when he was about 15 and we sort of could tell pretty quick that he was, he was going to be, you know, a serious contender be just because of his discipline and, and he was tough, but, uh, and, and he had a good attitude, but, uh, his, his discipline for me, that's, if somebody shows a lot of discipline, that's, that, that goes a long way with me because it just shows that they're willing to go to the extra lengths. I, you know, with teaching a lot of guys, you get a lot of different kind of followers and, uh, you'll get a lot of blokes with a lot of talent. But they they seem to squander it through lack of discipline, and and Kai Kai had that discipline straight away. I could see. And, and but, what do you mean by discipline, Troy? Like, do you mean like the like the working outside of things, or the diet, or the or improving after after getting bucked off, or, or what? What's your definition of the of the discipline side of things? Yeah, all of the above, mate. It's um, it's a it's a whole process, and if you lack any of that stuff, you know. Um, you won't you won't reach the level that you want to, and and so it, it's the practice and it's it's a it's right down to the the training and and the thinking about it and you know the, the even down to the, the nutrition and the and and what what you feed your body and um, I, like I say I was always a big advocate for it and and I think. That's to me what sorts the men out from the boys at, at the highest level. It's, it's the guy that's there's, there's a couple of exceptions, and I think probably JB and Tough are, are maybe a little bit of exceptions. But and I, I tell fellows at my schools, it's um, there's only one, one JB and there's only one Tough, and for the rest of us, all just hard work. And but those fellows had an un you know an amazing. Um, belief, I guess, and and they believed every time. It wouldn't matter how many times they got thrown on their backs, they'd get up and they'd believe in in the next one that they were going to ride the next one. Um, for the rest of us, we have to go home and we have to work on it. And we have to and and mind you, you don't know what's going on in those fellows' heads. They could be 
thinking about it all the time, 24-7, about how they're going to go about dominating their next bull. You, you don't know what goes on. But I do know from seeing, you know, different young men that I've had to do with over the years and and it just seems like, you know, they're all they're all endowed with X amount of ability. I don't think that sort of doesn't register in my um, in in what I believe that someone's going to make it. I, I don't I don't rate talent because it only gets you so far. But I do rate a good attitude, um, toughness, and a lot of discipline. And getting back to Kai, he had he had those strengths, mind you. He had a lot of ability as well, which which has helped him do the job a bit easier and, and do what he wants to do on the back of the bull a lot easier than, than someone that struggled, um, you know, with ability. But, yeah, to see Kai do what he did and, and, and us be there, we uh, could see that he was having a good year and then we'd made arrangements to to come over and do the NFR and come snow skiing and do what we were going to do. And, and, and as it turned out, Stetson pulled away on him, you know, towards the end, but we we're still committed to come over. And then, and then when we got here and, and um, the way it all unfolded and, you know, the way Kai conducted himself with, the, you know, how much heart he showed, um, that was, that was in true Aussie style, I thought. Um, and, you know, to have all his family and friends and, and for us to be a part of it was was pretty amazing. Um, and, and, you know, to sit with his his mum and dad, I've, you know, I've known those guys for a long time and, and see their reaction and, and how proud they were. Um, pretty special time. I've, uh, I've been asking the question a little bit and kind of, <laughs> kind of just – it's it's probably uh, I don't know how to explain it, Austin, but I, but I've been I've been wearing my live like tie hat lately because I was in the building that night when Kai I think it was round seven right when he when he uh, only got a ride wins ninety nine thousand the night after getting knocked out, but but I think about the head injury side of it and I and I just worry a little bit and I'm sitting on the edge of my seat when he's riding again after the night before and I know it's tough and I know it's you know it's cowboy to go and get on again like that but it it worries me on the on the head injury side of it. And also I know that we you know we lost Ty Pazabon a few years ago, but I I'm just kind of curious on the counter side of it, what you guys' thoughts are that way. Austin, you can start and and Troy tell me too, but like I just I just makes me wonder what, what are you guys' thoughts are on that side of it. It's a tough question. Both try uh, Troy and I, you know, we started into this sport. We didn't wear vests or helmets or anything, you know. Um I got my Got stepped on when I was 16 years old, and I was pretty near died in the hospital in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, you know. Um, I wore a vest under my shirt so nobody could tell when I was 17 years old because I felt like it was the right thing to do. And shortly after, you know, Tipperary come out with these vests, and they got cool, and everybody started wearing them. Pretty soon they become standard and uh, and then I got to see it towards the end of my career with with headgear, you know. Um, I wasn't the first to jump on board to uh, wear a helmet. In fact, I never wore one. 
Um, there's no question that uh, it makes more sense to ride bulls with proper equipment. You know, a mouth guard's a good idea. A vest's a good idea. Helmet's a good idea. But you're a different breed of person when you're a bull rider, you know. Not too many people on this planet would ever sit there and look at a bull and watch a bull buck like they do and think, I want to get on that son of a bitch because I think I can ride him. You know, you don't think the same as most people. So most people looking at that situation think you should wear all the necessary equipment. But they'd also say you're an idiot for ever getting on one of those things, you know. So I think it's hard to judge a, a guy um, that's put in a spot like that to do that. Most of it's your attitude and your mindset um, when it comes to separating yourself from average uh, as a bull rider, you know, to become great as a bull rider, you got to make huge sacrifices. Uh, you got to be able to have a mindset that's unlike anybody else that you know in order to reach that level. And if you're worried about getting hurt, doing what you're doing, you're already beat. You know, it, it can't be something that's on your mind or it's going to cost you somewhere. And so when you take a stance and you take off your helmet and you put on your cowboy hat and you hang out with J.B. Mooney and you try to adopt some of the, the um, probably just that in, in, impenetrable, um, you know, perseverance, focus and dedication and, and faith in yourself and your abilities and you, and you make a sacrifice to get surround yourself with people in that you know, with that mindset in order to get yourself to another level, um, that's a chance that you take. Um, you know, is he doing that to set a bad, you know, to set a bad example for the younger generation? No, I don't think that that's his intentions at all. I think his intentions are, you know, to build more heart, more depth and character, more willingness to put it all on the line to reach his ultimate goal of being a world champion bull rider, and he did. Um, would I advise young guys to go ahead and start off doing that or to switch to a, a, a helmet, a hat from a helmet? No, I don't think I would, you know. I've seen a lot. You know, I've seen a lot of my friends get their chest stepped on and die. I've seen guys get hit in the head, and I've died, you know, everlasting brain injuries, you know. Not one. I've had several, you know, Curtis Anderson's the one that you guys know the most of that make a big statement about that. Ty Bozabon's another guy that, that you hear lots about, but there was guys that I competed with from down South that had bad head injuries that are still crippled for life. They're never, ever going to be the same, you know? So do I think that riding with proper headgear is important? Yes. Do I understand why Kai Hamilton did what he did? Yes, I understand that too. So I really haven't answered your question on that. <laughs> I, I'm just more, I was more looking at it, it like. Because I can see it from both sides, you know? Yeah, me too. Absolutely. I can see it from both sides. I understand why he did what he did. And uh, I understand why it's benefit to uh, go about it the safe way. So. I don't know. Maybe you have to ask Troy because he didn't get a very straight answer out of me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, mate, I, I think it's just personal preference at the end of the day. 
Um, yeah. And, and I, I wasn't really asking about the helmet or hat question. I, I'm that's totally personal preference. And I don't think they need to make a rule on a helmet because a helmet's not saving a concussion. A helmet's saving face lacerations or maybe a broken bone here or there. I was more, I was more curious about the, you know, we're not paid athletes in the sense that you don't get paid if you don't get on. So if Kai doesn't ride those next, that next day, he doesn't make 150,000 and he maybe doesn't win the world. Um, he's not in a position where he can, like, I, I just thought I saw the Elvis exactly though, Austin, where, you know, I thought, wasn't it Curtis? Didn't he get hurt one day and then get knocked out the next day too? And that's, that's essentially what hurt. happened. He got knocked out in Innisfail on 20th June, give yeah. or take. And then he went to Pinoca and he brought, and he just, um, and he just clicked his Did heels and got kicked, you know, got hit in the head. It wasn't a bad wreck. It was just a, it was just a wreck that followed another wreck and, and it changed his life for forever, you know? And so I got to see that firsthand. Uh, I understand the importance of, of taking care of a, of a head injury and giving it the time that uh, is necessary for your brain to recover before you put yourself in that, you know, situation again. But, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to say that bull riders are, you know, the, the best businessmen or, or smartest guys on the planet. You know, I mean, we're risk takers. We are when we start doing that and that part of you doesn't go away um throughout your career um so when it's good when you've got the choice to decide and you got world title on the line that you've worked your whole entire life for you know if the choice is yours then you know you, you can you can bet what the what they're gonna what they're gonna we'd choose all, we'd all but do the, the thing is, is that that feels the same if you're at the FCA finals or at the national high school finals, it feels the same to you, no matter what level or stage you're on. If you're at, if you've got a chance to compete for a title, you're going to feel the same way as Kai felt, you know? So I think if it's in as a rule and the rules are the rules and everybody knows what the rules are and they play, you know, you have to play by the rules or you don't get to play at all. I think that's the only way you're going to get around something like that. But, uh, um, but, uh, if you're going to leave, if you're going to leave the decision to the bull rider, you know, you know what he's going to be, he, he's going to say, put me in coach every 100%, time. hundred percent. Yeah. Unless you can't, unless you feel like you can't ride, you know, I mean, I've been there, but I've been hurt, hurt to the point where I could ride through it. And I've been hurt to the point where I had to bow down and say, no way at the NFR, you know, I know what it feels like, you know, and it's not fun. It wasn't something I felt like I bought a busted face. I got on the next day because I thought, hell, it's a long ways from my heart. But boy, first jump out of there, my head snapped back and I and I knew that I that I had that was the only thing I could put my attention to. I couldn't I couldn't withstand the the pain that that that, that came. My eyes were so shut, you know. Uh, I couldn't compete any longer like that. And unfortunate, but you know, I still went back and tried again too, you know, so <laughs> I know how it feels, you know, you don't want to give up. I worked everything I had to get to that situation. And so yeah. I give it one more shot. Didn't get hurt worse, but <laughs> yeah. I give it another try. Fair enough. Well, and you don't, um, up to you on that one, Troy, you don't gotta, we don't gotta go any further on it if you don't want to. We, I was just kind of curious where you guys' head was at with that, but Austin, you did explain it a hundred percent. If it's up to the bull rider, we're always going to get on. 
There's no question. Yeah, I, I hadn't much to do with them, but um, I, after having talked to Kai about it, he he was saying that he um, it it you know he couldn't see properly through it and different things like that, and he just felt more comfortable balanced too. Like he rode better without it, so yeah, um, yeah, definitely, definitely. It looks like a piece of safety equipment, but like you say, if it if you get whopped down hard enough, you still you're still going to get your brain rattled. There was one event that I wanted to ask you about, Troy, uh, Fort Worth in the year two thousand. You you you've got a good memory of. We've already been talking about things, so you can tell me about that weekend. It looked like you were. Had a had a uh, bunch of high scores in one weekend. Yeah, well, that was back in the days when uh, I was allowed to come and go as I pleased. As far as because you know, back in those days, you were um, if you had qualified, you know, for the for the Bud Light Cup, or it might have even been built for tough. I can't remember, but if if you were on that tour, you had to turn up, and so even to the point actually in nine eleven. When Terry Don never turned up, they fined him heavily, and that, there was a big fallout over that because, you know, one fellow never turned up. So, but anyway, they they decided that um, Adriano was wanting to travel out of Brazil, and I was wanting to go home. You know, after '99, so they made the rule that the week could come and go, you know, um, as we please, world champion. So. Uh, I'd, I'd done a few um, after that, you know, come over and do a few at a time. But Fort Worth was always the big, the big one for the year. That was it was tough bull riding, and it had the most money up. And he always, he always brought the juice as far as the bulls went. And um, that was sort of in the hub, I guess, of where all the good bulls were. And and um, so I, I actually just come over for that weekend and. Yeah, fortunately, things went my way and I got away with it. But, yeah, I, I seem to recall, yeah, there's there's a couple of bulls that that I was a few points on, but, again, they were bulls that suited me. And uh, I, I seem to recall Candyman Russells and Slam Jan and Terry Williams in the short round. Um, and then there's another big Brendel bull for me, second round. Can't remember what that bull was, but... Um, Rimrock. Yeah, it was just... Things fell into place that weekend for me. So in the first round, you were 93 on Candyman. Second round, 87 and a half on a bull uh, branded 19 by the name of Rimrock. Then 94 oh. on Slam Jam in the short mm -hmm. round. It just kind of it stood out to me for you to be to average over 91 and a half points a bull <laughs> in three bulls. Yeah, well, um, like I say, um, yeah, with sometimes you, you know, uh, you 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 find that there was there's bulls that suit you, and and you know, righties, you know, my forte, I suppose, and um, you know, big up and down bulls to the right, or most kind of the right suited me, and and um, Candy Man was a gassy little righty, and then. Uh, they were all they were all righties, mate, and um, into the wheelhouse. And um, like I say, you know some of the some of the rides that people I guess remember remember me for might have been uh, Pacific Bell and and Red Wolf. Well, again, you know they were they were big up and down, <laughs> strong bulls around in my hand, and 
But if they had been hard, hard, fast lefties, it would have been a different story. So uh, <laughs> you can um, be lucky and um, have things go your way on in, in the draw. That's for sure. What what's uh, you mentioned a couple rides there, but what what were the most memorable memorable rides in your career, Troy? And then and then Austin, I got to ask you the same question. But Troy, you're you're on it right now. Keep going. What's what's your most memorable ride? Yeah, I suppose Red Wolf, um, just because of the circumstances and what it meant. You know, I was last out at the World Finals, last out for the year, really, of, of the 97 season. And um, I was leading it going in there into the short round and I was last out, like I say, and I had to be 89 uh, to meet uh, to beat G-Man for the, for the finals average. And um, I'd been on the ball earlier in the year and he um, he had his way with me. And like Austin said, there was a bit of an, bit of an error about that ball at the time because, you know, he stepped on Brent there only a couple of years before. So, you know, he, I think he put the bluff up a lot of, a lot of fellas. So just having everything, you know, fall into place and, yeah, the time that I spent preparing for for the World Finals, I was I was a big advocate for preparation, and you know we always had a time period, you know, between the last event for the year and and the World Finals. So I, I always used that time to be serious about me discipline and and the, the training and staying in the gym and trying to eat right and doing all those things, and that that's what I. Try and teach the guys, you know. It's I think that's what that's what gets you over the line and and helps you do and make those big rides and when it counts, if you if you can stay the track and stay disciplined and and when that all works out for you and you got a plan and 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 your plan comes together and you pull something like that off for the whole enchilada, well, that's. That makes for you, for the um, you know your your um, moments that you remember. Well, and I was I gotta ask you another one quick here then because I'm looking at the World Finals and you went four for five in 1999 as well, but also won the World Finals title in 1995. It paid based on the stats I could find. You won about fifty six thousand in '95. And then it was one hundred and fifty-eight thousand in ninety-seven. I think did you you won a hundred thousand for winning the average in ninety-seven? Is that right? I think that'd be pretty close, mate. Yeah, because I think I got away with one hundred and fifty-seven thousand or something for the uh, for that for the finals. Yeah, for the second one. Yep, ninety-seven. And in ninety-five, it was it was only the second final, so it was a little lighter. But but uh, but what what was it for you to go to those world finals and? Up until Robson Palermo, only a few years ago, you were the only person that had won it more than once. Um, what was it about those finals, though? You just mentioned going home. Maybe I don't know if you said you went home, but there was a break, and you really prepared for it. Um, was it the big stage that you really were? You knew there's a lot of money there. Like, is that what? What was it that made you really step up for those those big moments? Yeah, well, that's what it was all about. Um, you know, winning winning those kind of things is that that's what we all dream of and so 
you know, winning the world title is one thing, and then the, the next biggest thing is winning the world finals, as far as I'm concerned. So, I mean, I, I didn't want to go into those sort of competitions half-hearted. I wanted to be ultra-ready, and and the only way I knew to do that was to to be focused and disciplined, and I felt like that if I, I'd worked hard and, and trained hard and, and, and did everything I could in, in my preparation, well, then I, I felt like I deserved it. And then so when, when you're getting ready for a short round like that and you're last out and, you, you know, you've got 15 guys ahead of you and the atmosphere is you can cut it with a knife at the World Finals and there's the music and the announcers and everything's on the line. You've already rode five. You're leading it going in there um, and there's, there's one ahead of you and they're playing – you know, Eminem, his weak arms are heavy and there's vomit on your sweater already. Well, you know, you can you can pretty well feel like a blob of jelly if you're not careful. So I never wanted to feel that way. I wanted to be ready and, and I just felt felt like that I was ready because I because of the work I'd done. I'd you know, I'd I'd, I'd put the hard yards in and so uh and and I also thought that in those situations uh, my dad always told me that whatever you do, um, always always do this game for fun. If it if it ever becomes anything more than doing it for fun, you're probably doing it for the wrong reasons. And so, even though you know there was a lot on the line, I felt like that that's what I did leading up to that moment before getting on that bull. I just kept telling myself, I'm I'm having fun. I'm 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 here. I'm I'm putting on a show. That, that's why I'm here. People want to see someone step up and make a rank ride um, when it all matters and when it all counts. And I thought, that's my turn. It's my time. And I'm going to enjoy the moment. Win, lose or draw or get my head jumped on. That was my motto. And I felt like I needed to be ready. And as it turns out, I guess I was a couple of times. There's a few times I wasn't, but Fortunate enough, I was I was ready a couple of times for it. What was the mental preparation side of it? You talk about the physical between the work and outside of it, and the and the 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 way you were eating. But what was the mental side? Um, what the mental side, I suppose, is is a is a work in progress, and it, it takes a long time to get to get to being that solid. In your, in your own mind and in your head. You've got to go through a lot of fail, failures, I think, before you get to being, you know, that solid in, in your mind with it. I, I knew that – I knew I could ride that ball. Uh, he was one that I would have picked if they would have had a draft. That He was one that, that I thought suited me. He's, he's big and strong and up and down around into my hand. So I was fortunate enough – to draw him, and then when I drew him, I thought, you know, it's right up my alley. So, um, as far as the mental side goes, and and the confidence, you know, it, it's a work in progress, and and you have to go through a lot of failures, I suppose, before that happens. But I always tell the guys, you know, that that I have to do with that, you know, confidence confidence is all in your head, and it's something you have to work on twenty four seven. Um, 
and you'll get a lot of negativity coming in there, but you're the only one there. So 24 hours of the day, you're the only one there. So you have to work on that confidence. You have to toss out, you know, the negative stuff and, and replace it with confidence all day. And the more you can do it, uh, the more that you will reiterate that you're the man. If you don't, if you don't think you're the man and you don't, do the work and you don't put the hard yards in someone else will and they will beat you what was that some of the messaging to kai if he turned to you for any advice in this last couple of years and his high like is when he's been at this elite echelon too yeah I think, I think we've talked a lot about all that type of thing and that's that's what i like talking with those kind of fellas that understand that side of it, that's that's pretty cool to you know, be able to speak to those fellas about that. Yeah, we kind of have a lot of com- long conversations on the phone, I suppose, about a lot of different things. But, yeah, that, I think that's probably some of the stuff we talked about for sure. Mm. Um, Austin, i got to get back to you on the most memorable ride in your career. We kind of got off on a bit of a tangent, but I want to go back on, on your side of it. Um. Probably for me, it was uh, just a ride. It was a bull that I had drawn down in Lewiston, Idaho. Um, he was an old bounty bull. They'd run a bounty program and through through the mid nineties, and they uh, they cut it off in at the end of ninety six. And and there was one bull that uh, carried that bounty right through until August, and. Um, nobody claimed the bounty on him yet, you know, and, um, I watched Mike White get on that bull in Ellensburg. And at that time I thought Mike was riding as good as anybody, anybody going. And he really put out the effort. Uh, he was, he, he was on cue, um, to, to be able to ride that bull. And I watched him ride him for about five or six seconds doing everything that I thought he could be doing right. And that bull just worked and worked and worked him and shook him loose and bucked him off hard. And I just, I remember thinking to myself at that point, you know, if I ever draw that bull, I'm going to, I don't think I'm going to get on him because I I don't think I can ride that bull. I I just don't think he's, he's that hard. And I've never had that thought about any bull ever before. And sure as hell, two weeks later, I drew him. <laughs> and uh, and then I had a choice to make, you know. Um, you know, uh, pretty soon it was uh, Merle Freeman and Jeff Whitlow and a handful of guys come by and pick me up. On our way, we were going to there in Puyallup and Armstrong. And on, on I, that was first stop on the tour, you know. And I got in the camper. And I had a good long talk with myself. In fact, I never left the camper for that whole entire trip. And all I did was just drilled it in my head. First of all, I had to get my head around the fact that I, I thought that there's a chance that I could ride the bull. And I worked myself uh, eventually up to the point where I was pretty sure that if, you know, that when I got there, I was going to get on that bull. If I was going to get on that bull, I was going to try and ride that bull and I thought I had a chance to, and by God, I got him rode and I was 88 points. It wasn't the best score of my career, but for me at that point, it was the best ride I'd ever made because I felt like I'd rode the unrideable that day. 
and uh, and it, and it really catapulted me forward into the fall run and that's when i you know i picked up some steam and and uh, went on to make nfr that fall so that was a big one for me you know um there were some other rides that come a little bit later in my career and and what, i got how much get... you went on the bounty though you got to tell us that part oh no i can't tell you that part <laughs> the, pig. The, the fucking pig a keg the pig oh Tough. Uh, oh yeah Tough Edelman rode him someplace in the week in between and, uh, and, and got the bounty off of that bastard. So I never got the bounty <laughs> and I never knew till afterwards. Lloyd Ketchum says to me, he goes, well, I know if you're going to, I know how to ride him now. He says, you get on the back of the chutes and you jump down on that son of a bitch and kidney stomp that prick until he's ready to beller in the chutes. And then you sock it into him and go. And he says, that's how you're going to get him rode. And I thought, man, well, that ain't my style. I said, I don't even know how to even play that game. So I just pulled it. I just went about my business the same way I always did. And I slid up and rode and got a whistle on him, you know. But, um, you know, I, I, uh, later on, I, I met with Troy in, in Brazil. And and, uh, and uh, he, we both had real tough draws in, in, the, in the progressive round that day. And, and, and uh, and, and I got on a bull that uh, pretty notorious down there for putting people in the hospital and stuff like that. And it got in my head and, uh, and he bucked me off and I thought I should have been able to ride that bull. And Troy had one similar to that. And Troy just left to shoot spurn on this son of a bitch and made a fool out of this bull that they thought was notorious. And, uh, and I couldn't believe it. And on the bus ride back to the airport, I, I asked Troy what he was thinking about, you know, and he just said, mate, I've been on those bad bastards in three different continents. And, uh, and he said, they're all only so bad, you know, and, and uh, they only get so bad. And then you can make them even worse in your imagination. You know, and I thought about that. I thought about that, that statement a lot uh, for probably for another year or two notorious, you know, and then I was able to come home and, and, uh, and get on some bulls, you know, like, you know, triple six, shiver and shake was a bull of Kessler's that was, he was all there. He was a big, mean, intimidating bull that uh, he'd get in your head. And uh, I was able to get on that bull and rode him twice. And, um, you know, he was a 90-point kind of bull, you know, and, and not too many people wanted to get on him. Not too many people rode him either, you know. And so I'm not sure if they were the best rides I ever made, but uh, they meant a lot to me because uh, they, were, they were just – that was bull that nobody wanted to get on too bad, you know? So, um, you know, he, he, he's helped me a lot in that respect. And, and, uh, and I never did forget that. And, and, uh, when I had an opportunity to get him over here, uh, to have a school and, and, and to help, uh, share some stories like that and, and shape the, the attitude and the mindset of these kids that are coming up. Uh, I, I was just thrilled that, that he would entertain that. And here we are now. So um, look, really looking forward to that. Before we're done here, we got to talk about talk about uh, winning the PBR World Title, but uh, but being on crutches at the end of the week. Just talk about that that year, uh, but still winning the World Title despite being injured at the end of the week. Yeah, well, it wasn't uh, the ideal way to win a World Title, I suppose, but that's what was planned for me, and that's the way it worked out. So it just so happened that I had enough points to see me through. And um, 
Yeah, I mean, um, I prepared for the World Finals going in there just like I would any other and and then and then dislocated my hip. So yeah, it was uh it was a bit of an anti climax really in, in a lot of ways, but um and, and when I won the world it was like because I'd won the world finals twice before, I, I I knew I was capable of winning the world, but I uh so it was more of a because I hadn't it didn't come down to the wire and then I won, you know, the world championship on my last ride like some of them do and, you know, in this great fashion. I suppose it was more of a more of a relief actually to win the world than this great, um, you know, exhilaration, I suppose. So, but... By the same token, it was still amazing feeling, and 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 that's that's just the way it worked out, and um, it is what it is. Um, talk about the the global cup and the and the world cup side of things as a, as a coach on the other side of things. Bull riding is not often a team sport, and it more so is now. Um, but talk about those two events, and then I then I got to follow up and ask about the current team series and what your thoughts on it are, and and what the expansion of that might look like. There's not it's not like there could probably be a team Australia in the in the team series right now. The travel would be a little tricky. Same thing with Team Canada for that. But but talk about being the coach and motivating your team and and just what that looks like for you. Yeah, well that's that was a privilege. To be able to do that, but, you know, they they got me to do that, you know, for my country. So, anytime you're waving the flag or the colours of your country, you're always gonna do what you can to represent it well. And so, I, I really enjoyed coaching for a lot of reasons, and and one of the reasons is that I like talking about things associated with. You know, guys riding at the highest level because you can. I mean, I guess coaching is is a sort of a thing where you're only limited to your imagination, and you know how big that can be. So uh, we, I had a lot of fun with it, and 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 the boys that I, yeah, and all the young men that I had that I was coaching in those days were all good lads and and all worthy of riding for the Australian colours. And so it was it was a pretty amazing time and we we did a lot of a lot of things associated with doing it for one another and doing it for our country and and I think that was one of the reasons I think they perform. I, I, I thought they punched well above their weight. I, I might be wrong in saying that, but I thought I thought they they went really well. And um, it was it was a good time. It was um, I, I'd do it again, and I, I I'd, I'd love to coach again. But there's not a lot of jobs out there for for a lot of coaches in bull riding. So, um, but it's definitely something I'd I'd like to do again. I, I kind of forgot that Macaulay Leather showed up to our Canadian finals in Edmonton and went four for four, but 
what's your experience been of him uh, back home? And and he's got a lot of talent and probably going to win a lot. It looks like doesn't isn't he? Looks like he's amazing young talent, and um, yeah, he's got it all going on. And um, he, he's actually from a family of about thirteen kids. That lad, I think. And um, yeah, he, he had a good year and pretty well dominated, and then he dominated, you know, at, at our finals as well. So, and then and then he come over here and rode all his bulls into the bargain. And yeah, I think there's big things in store for Macaulay. Um, the uh, the technical side of the, of bull riding when you're coaching at that level, you're not. I'm assuming here, but you're not likely teaching the technical side of it when you're coaching at the global cup side, it's more of a mental, yeah, 90, 99% or a hundred percent mental and encouragement on that side of it. So we can move on and talk more about the technical side of it at the schools, but even then it's probably still more mental because bull riding is still more mental than anything. Is it not? There's some of the technical side of it when you look at like the drop barrel and, and I got to ask how that came into the schools too, but go with it as you wish from there on the on the coaching side and and the and the teaching side yeah well you're right i think at the at the highest level you know you're teaching guys that are riding for their country so they know what to do and regardless of whether or not they ride the way that the coach would like them to ride is probably irrelevant so you have to just try and get those guys in the right state of mind and, and prepare them the best you can mentally. And there's lots of ways you can do that. And there's a lot of there's a lot of motivational things that you can do. And like I say, coaching's only you're only limited to your imagination. So you can you can throw all kinds of things in there. And yeah, and and, and I guess I think for me, I I struggled with it early in the piece because I thought I always believed bull riding was a, an individual sport totally. And back in the days of, of the World Cup, you know, when we went to Mexico and Brazil and then we had the one in 2010, um, you know, in Vegas where we had Gold Coast at home, you know, 07, Mexico, 08, 09, Brazil, 2010, Vegas. You know, um, <clears throat> I was of the belief, I think, in the first year that, that it was just individual and... I didn't. I didn't really understand until I read Wayne Bennett's book. Well, he's he's probably the greatest Australian rugby league coach there is, and I read his book, and it led me to believe that there's just such a thing as team spirit, and the team spirit really you can, you know, a bloke will go above and beyond his call of duty, I guess, in every way when there's team spirit. So. That's what I tried to include in, in you know, in Vegas and uh, at that at third World Cup. And I thought, I thought after having implemented that, I thought I thought the boys went a lot better. And then there was a bit of a break before the Global Cup, and um, I really enjoyed just trying to create ways and different ways and means of of trying to get them up on the day that was that was a challenge and you know all those blokes are are different characters and individuals and especially back in the days of of the world cup days you know i had 
I had Ben Jones and Jace O'Hearn and 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 then the Farley boys were lower. They were completely different characters and, and they didn't actually really get along. You know, obviously the brothers did, but you know and then throw in the mix Dave Kennedy who really had rode much too much in the US and Brandon Clark, well, you know, it was a wide, diverse range of different characters. So, you know, to bring all those fellas together. Um, and for them to pull together for their country and ride for one another was pretty cool to see. They they were putting it all on the line and they were all up on their each other's shoots and they would never have done that in an individual contest. So it's a really interesting and intriguing concept, I suppose, with, with the team thing. And I suppose that's why the team thing now, that's I'd say, you know, the PBR's taken taken what how good it was at the global cup and the atmosphere it created, um, and, and took it into the into the domestic or um, national tour uh, team thing we have now. What What about the technical side when you're teaching on the school side of things? I saw that you you have a drop barrel as part of your school, and I don't I don't know much else, but that's kind of one of the fundamentals. Is that that's kind of been something that I that I know that Gary Lefew has. Uh, had at his school. I don't know for how long, or maybe that's something that that uh, that you implemented somewhere along the line too. But yeah, well, yeah, that's it. It kind of um, simulates more so the action of a bull, or feels like more the action of a bull that's up and down, a jump and kick, than just a you know something that swivels or you know breaks in the middle. The drop barrels, you know. Like I say, simulates more of a feeling of a bull, so that's that's what that's for. But from a standpoint of of the technical side of bull riding, I, I don't teach anything unless it makes sense to me um, physiologically. So there's there's an action and there's a reaction, and and if it doesn't make sense to me in that regard, I don't teach it, or I didn't do it myself, and so I, I've, I've broken it down. I I started teaching schools from about 1992. I had my first one. and um, So the first thing I did was try and break down and work out in my own mind how I rode, and, and I, I spent a lot of time studying what I did so that I could, you know, the, these young fellas are paying me a decent amount of coin to come and learn, so I wanted to make sure that, that what information I was given them wasn't wasn't just made up or some myth that I conjured up. So, so I kind of tried to break it down and work out, you know, the best methods. And 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 what I come up with pretty much really was just it all it all boils down to physics. It's not rocket science. You know, the bull does one thing, and we must position ourselves in a certain position to be able to counteract it. So, and that's. That's all I base it on, and um, anything other than that, I think, is irrelevant. I, I want to ask what the drop barrel is. That is that a Gary Lefew invention? Is that true, or or who who brought that up originally? I think so. That's that's where okay. I think it comes from, and it's a good invention. Okay. And uh, yeah, he's he's obviously you know. Gary's been the guru for so long. He, he knows his knows his caper, and and I, I 
um, teach a, a lot of what he brought to the table early in the piece and um, took a bit out of it and added a bit to it and and come up with my own sort of way of teaching, I suppose. What What about the mental side? Is that is that part that you're teaching? I know Gary's are really big on the, like the the what do you call it? I want to say the mental side, but the psycho cybernetics is part of it, and the visualization I want to say is part of it. Meditation might be a smaller part of it now. Uh, what do you teach that side that that way? Yeah, um, more so with the with the advanced students. I don't get too much into it with with the young followers or the green the green blokes because they're just still trying to learn the basics. But as as it wears on, you'll find after a while and, and you start to ride a few and then you go into competition, well, then then the competition nerves kick in and the whole fear of failure kicks in. So that's that's when the, the mental side of it starts to kick in. And so um, I'll speak more on that side of it to the more advanced guys and I will I will talk to them as a group regardless of their level you know at some stage through the school about what it takes to be a bull rider or a good bull rider anyway I suppose and and, and there's a few things that that are pretty basic and I think I think those same principles you know um, refer to life if you if you if you adhere to those things that make a good bull rider, you 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 should be pretty successful in most things. I think it's it's all relevant. So I I'll always speak on that on the Sunday, and then um, if I have advanced students there, well we can we can go right into detail and right into depth about you know the mental side of it and the fear of failure and. Um, it's visualizing and the confidence and the good attitude. You can you can go on and on for quite a while about all that, actually. So, but it's, yeah. it's all good stuff. We could have a full show about that if you wanted to, but we uh, I've already kept you guys way too long. I better I better ask. Uh, uh, well, one more thing. You you guys are uh, you're not only doing like you you guys are uh, ranching uh, wagyu beef uh, back home too, right? That's a big part of what you guys do at home. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much, mate. Yeah, we got a um, a, a Brangus herd, base herd, and then we put the full blood wagyus over them, and then we keep some of their heifers, and then we go on and breed F twos. Um, so uh, yeah, it's been good. They, for the most part, they've been better than commercial prices. So it's up and down. It's kind of down at the moment, but we ride the wave and we'll go on with it. And, and um, pretty exciting times in the beef industry at home. And and you say that in a good way, bad way, or I'm I'm not sure what you're saying there. Like the beef the beef business is is good at home. Is it mostly going domestically, or is it going straight north for you guys up to the up to uh, like the Chinese side of things and Japanese, or like where where you guys are exporting a lot of the beef to, or is it or is it mostly domestic? Yeah, well, of course we don't, but it goes to the to the um, to the processors, and then they they send it. I think most most of the wagyu beef go. You know, to the Asian countries, I think it's mostly you know Japan, China, Korea. But um, yeah, this I think with what we 
of breeding and producing is, you know, F1, F2, where it's low marbling score. So I think they go, they might go domestically where, where EU accredited to. So I don't know whether it goes EU. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a good business to be in. And as far as I know, a lot of, a lot of the people that have been into it um, have, have done well out of it. And we're going to stick with it. A lot of people get into it and get it back out of it because it, it goes up and down and fluctuates a little bit and they don't stick with it, but we stuck with it and it's been good to us. You you mentioned uh, on the school side being a great bull rider and and being great in a lot of other things, but I'm curious who you guys think, I want to touch on it really quick, who you guys think were the greatest of all time. And we can talk, Troy, I want to talk on the, on the world side of things. And then Austin, I know I've, we've talked before a little bit about the Canadian list and how people rank, but, but Troy, I want you to start on the, on the world side. I've, I've had this question before, like, is it Donnie Gay or is it Sage Kimsey? Is it JB Mooney? Is it Jose Vitor Leme? Is it, uh, you know, Adriano, Chris Shivers, Silvano? I'm curious where you guys, where you guys' heads are at in that. Well, when I first started, I thought it was tough and Jim. Before that, of course, it was Donnie. And then, uh, I think Justin and Chris come along. And they raised the bar a little bit. And then then it was JB and Silvano. Then it was like Lockwood and um, Lemmy. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm a big believer in not comparing errors for a number of reasons. One of them was that because even though guys like Tuff and Jim and Donnie those guys weren't getting on super rank balls every time. They were, they were getting on plenty of rank balls, but they were doing a lot of miles, and and so the, for the most part they were tired all the time and and getting on big yanking eliminators. And and when I first turned up and I was doing PRCA radio, I thought Tough and Jim were machines because you'd see them, and you might have been on the road for a week. Or two, and then you turn up in California, and and these fellas have got a flying flying U bull. It's a great big brindle monster, and it launches out of the box and drags its ass and throws in a big roll and sees a clown and flies over there and sideways. And I think those kind of bulls are harder again to ride than than the, the super rank buckers because they're not helping you. Yeah. And 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 those fellows were dead tired, and they still didn't. You couldn't knock them off with a stick. So, and I've no doubt, you know, Lammy and Lockwood and JB and all the guys of the later era wouldn't have adjusted to riding those bulls and being tired and, and riding those big rank bulls like that. I'm I'm 100% sure they would have, but I'm also 100% sure that guys like Donnie and Tuff and Jim would have adjusted to being able to ride the super rank balls. You know, the balls are getting on today. So it's it's difficult to compare errors and I don't particularly like to do it. I will say I think I think Chris Shivers was the most correct bull rider that I've ever seen. Still got the record for the most nineties. Record speaks for itself. Um he was impeccable with his with his top half and his pushing and his reaching over the front. And his feet, you you wouldn't even see him move. They were that fast and hard and solid and on the mark. You wouldn't hardly see him move. So I, I thought Chris was 
if I if I want to show someone, you know, how to ride bulls properly, I I charm a I charm a video, Chris Sivers. Austin, what do you think? On a world stage, I I, I agree with uh, really a hundred percent with what Troy had to say. He asked me what I thought about uh, on a Canadian side of things, and um, you know, I watched guys like Cody Snyder and Dale Johansson and guys like that when I was young, and I thought they were uh, and Troy Dunn uh, when when I was young, and I thought they were great, uh, and they were in their time against the Bulls. They were up against. They were they were real hard to beat, you know. Um, then I got to compete with some guys that I thought were uh, they were really hard to beat for my for me personally. You know, Matt Roy, you know Kelly Armstrong, Robert Bowers, Justin Bolt, Schiffner. Those guys all had uh, periods in their careers that um, they were uh, really hard to beat at the time. You know, um, nowadays you see, you know, there's uh, Aaron Roy's and and uh, and Dakota Butters and, you know, Coverchuk and some of these guys that uh, are taking over now and even getting close to the end of their career, but they've uh, been really good and for a long time. So you got to put them in the mix too. So uh, I think the greatest of all time uh, is a hard statement to, uh, to answer correctly because uh, I think that when you're the greatest of your, of your own time, uh, that's that's really important, and so uh, I think that um, if I could add on that, I think that you know the reputation of what JB Mooney has got uh, today and at the end of his career. Um, I, I think that uh, that what Troy was able to do in his career, you know, is is very parallel to what JB Mooney did in his career. You know. Uh, JB rode the he, the Dragon Slayer. You know, he rode a lot of real bad, tough bulls, notorious bulls that were hard to ride. But they were, you know, this guy, he rode ugly. He rode Rampage. He rode all of them, uh, you know, all of them. And, uh, and I don't remember ever seeing bulls that, that, uh, he, that were notorious at their time that he wasn't able to get rode. And, and so he's legendary in my mind. And he always will be, you know, I can call him my friend and that could change <laughs> as soon as he decides, but he's always going to be my hero, you know, because I got to see him do some incredible things on the back of a bull. And so, you know, that's something that I'll, uh, you, you can't take away. Uh, last question for both of you guys. Um, Austin, we'll go to you first. Uh, what's your definition of cowboy shit? Um, I think just uh, having the confidence and the courage to go ahead and, and do do things that uh, that scare you, you know, on a regular basis. That uh, uh, do things to impress yourself when nobody else is watching. You know, I think sometimes most cowboy shit that ever gets done, uh, there's no witnesses for. You know, and so. That's cowboy shit, you know, when you're trying to do it for YouTube or for um, Facebook likes and shit like that, uh, that doesn't cut it for me. 
because I've, I've seen lots of cowboy shit. Um, and there wasn't nobody else but maybe my horse and my dog that got to see it. Yeah. Joy? Cowboy shit to me, I think, is probably depicts Lonesome Dove. That's same what Austin's saying. Nobody, nobody's seen it. It's just they got the job done. Come, you know, hell or high water, red hail or sunshine, they got the job done. And, and I love those old movies that, that um, depict fair income cowboys. Anything else? Anything I missed? Anything else you want to get to? Do you want to, you want to talk about, uh, well, Austin and I have a bit of a, um, a unique, um, what would you call it? A unique um, association or because we both had to do with running PBRs in, in our respective countries. You were both uh, president of PBR Canada and Australia at the same time. Is that correct? You got, is that like when it, when it first started off? Pretty much, mate. Yeah. Uh, when, when it kicked off PBR global, um, it, we kicked off with the global cup in, uh, well, the world cup actually on the Gold Coast in, in 07. So that, that's when it started. And, um, yeah. 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 I guess we both retired in 2005 and that was the same year that, um, that uh, Sean Gleason, I guess, had called me and, and uh, talked to me about doing an international expansion with the PBR and opening offices and having offices in five different countries. And, and they asked uh, me to head the Canadian division and try to run the, the uh, Australian division. And so um, we've got some history going back to that, you know, uh, sharing some of the struggles and the growing pains of uh, getting things off the ground and and getting the you know support of the the events the promoters the the contractors and the contestants um on board and buying into this whole concept you know uh i think we had uh you know we had a lot of challenges that we uh, had to face uh, you know uh we were facing the same challenges in different countries you know but uh uh, eventually it uh, you know it came to fruition and and we were able to get uh, our main objectives uh, accomplished which was for these uh, guys that were not Americans uh, to be able to accumulate points that uh, that carried them a little bit closer to qualifying to uh, a position on the built for tough series or the Bud Light Cup um, you know getting them qualified a little bit closer to uh, qualifying for the world finals and that sort of thing without having to spend their entire, uh, season on the road and in the United States, you know, so they could, um, start the year and get some money won and then go travel and, and see if they could build on that. And I think that was a pretty special thing. You know, I think Aaron Roy was probably the first one to come out of Canada that got, uh, you know, I think maybe Matt Roy and Bolts and some of those guys maybe did earlier on too but uh um to see that happen uh it was very rewarding you know we also got to experience that transition when spire capital took over uh the pbr and how it affected our our positions uh with the organization and how uh how that changed things you know it, it was different it, it was definitely different it affected 
things for the Cowboys affect things for us and how our positions change and, and our, uh, our roles change within the company, you know? So, um, yeah, there was a lot that uh, we experienced uh, in the first few years of that global expansion. Mm. And, and Jackie and I run the thing there at home for 10 years, I suppose, from, from 07 through to 16. And, and um, yeah, that was good experience. And at least we got to go to the world finals for nothing a couple of times. Because <laughs> otherwise it probably wasn't very lucrative. I'm just, I'm assuming here too, but like there wasn't, you, speaking of challenges, like you guys are launching a new tour in a new country and you're trying to sell tickets, you're trying to get sponsors and you're trying to uh, make it good for the bull riders and for the contractors. And you're like, it's, it's not an easy job. And to see where things are at in both countries now, I'm, I'm proud of the work that you guys did getting it off the ground. Cause they're both in pretty awesome places right now compared to where they were in 2006. Yeah. Well, I think they're going, going like the clappers we paid out. Uh, seventy-four thousand for our Australian champion a couple of months ago, and and um, it looks like a pretty lucrative tour. And fellas win a lot of money. And like Austin said, you know, there's pathways for them to get over here and to ride on tour on the televised series and and so forth. So pretty fulfilling for us. Now, Austin, you're uh, it's something that you help build that your kid can compete in in a couple of years too. <laughs> I don't think so. Eh? They, uh, my kids are a long ways from sport. Uh, you know what? They can sort and load and handle these bulls, but they don't get on them. See, I got, uh, a, how much... I got a, one of my cousin's boys is riding. Is that maybe Brody's maybe one you're thinking of? Cool that he can go do it, though. Yeah. You know what? If it turns out that uh, that he, you know, that he makes it that far in his career, um, you know, I'll be real happy for him. I, I'm happy for all these boys, you know. Um, you know, I got a bell buckle on right now from 2003, the PCB. You know, the PCB was the start of it, you know. Before then, bull riding was all scattered out. Everybody had bull riding. There was three or four associations, and it was the Wild West, you know, and uh, we helped to kind of rein it all in and get it under one umbrella. Wes Sear was involved in that. Bo, Bo MacArthur was involved in that. Davidson, too. Um, we got it all in one umbrella. It was called the PCB. And it wasn't until then that we got recognized, and that's when Gleason got a hold of me. I was president of that outfit. And he said, hey, you know, let's see what we can do. Let's get this stuff come to the PBR. And I said, all right, I'll sell the crew on it. And we did. And we started it up, and and uh, that's when the work began, you know. I went from towards the end of my career, I'd be only gone 20 or 30 days a year from my home because <laughs> I had a ranch to look after in a family. And then I started with the PBR, and I was gone 200 days a year again. Oh, I was cool. gone all across, the, you know, the country. And uh, we were doing building negotiations and media buys and, 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 and sponsorship, corporate, corporate sponsorship and television stuff. And it was a lot, you know, big sacrifice, big commitment to get things off the ground and get it operating and get it rolling. But, you know, it paid off because it started to send um, some of our Canadian talent down there and where they were able to, uh, you know, feel at home when they got onto a world stage. 
Did did you guys sell the PCB to the PBR or was it kind of a did they absorb the events? What what happened? Oh, it just kind of rolled one one rolled into the other. You know, the better events went one way and the other events kind of uh went, you know, the smaller events they kind of went down a different path, you know. And what was it like in Australia prior to the PBR side of things too, Troy? Like they, was, were there really were, were there any PBR events in Australia prior to 2006 or, or like, were there a couple one-offs or how, how was it? And what were the other associations? I, I, I have no idea what that would have been like besides the, the uh, APRA, I guess. I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, we started the CBR back in 2000, so championship bull riders. And then because we couldn't start PBR because we actually could have used the name at home because it wasn't being used, but somebody else had it. They were using, they only had a couple of events. So we run CBR for maybe four years, four or five years, and then and then it rolled into um, there was a breakdown and, and a bust up and fallout, and it rolled into a thing, a non-profit organisation called Bull Riding Australia, and then and we had a full tour like the Bundy Rum series in the CBR. From 2000 was going like the clappers, like they we had we had television and and that's that's really what broke us. That's that's what broke us up. We were on full tilt, going like the clappers on that deal there, and it, it could who knows what it could have been like to this day if that had continued. But politics got involved and and we rolled into bull riding Australia probably around 2003. So. CBR probably went for four years and we had full two. We might have had 30, 30 events and which 20 of them were probably televised on, on actual commercial TV. And then um, Bull Riding Australia, it, it run there for a few years and then when PBR, and it was the same, same guys running the thing. So when um, just before when I retired in 05, um, Jackie and I and the kids went out to the PBR and met with Randy and Sean and because Adriano and I had a had talked about, you know, having PBR offices in in our neck of the woods and so we went out and presented it to Randy and, and Sean and that was that was at the end of 05 and uh and so then Sean turned up and had a heap of meetings. At home in 07, at the beginning of 07, or might have been at the end of 06. And um, and by by the time the middle of 07 rolled around, we'd had our first World Cup to launch PBR Australia. So, And um, Bull Riding Australia went by the wayside as well. And PBR took all their events and, and the sponsorship and the way we went into PBR. And are there some of those events that, uh, were big events in the CBR tour that are still uh, large PBR events? Is that that's right? Yep. Yeah. Townsville, Townsville, one of them, and yeah. um, Austin probably came out with the first CBR uh, DYD Townsville event, and it's it's been our cornerstone event forever, and still is. It's probably the only one that makes makes any sort of money. It's a two day event, and it's the best bull riding down home, and um, in fact. Glenn Young and I and Troy Dan actually started that event with our own money, and and as it turned out, we we lost the event somehow along the line, and the PBR now own it. 
They're the ones making the money out of it. Mm. What's your involvement now on the PBR side in Australia, Troy? I don't, I'm not aware. No, we don't have anything to do with it. I, I could still go and judge probably, but I, I don't. Uh, I did my last job late this year probably, and so I, I've got other things on. I don't have to go to any bull runs anymore, so I just um, do other things. No, no, t- mm. no, no TV commentary or anything or broadcast or what? Uh, they don't really have TV at home. So yeah. it's the in arena broadcast that goes on yeah. some of the live streams, maybe. I don't think I'll be cut out for TV. TV guy. <laughs> and Austin, what about you on the, on the bull riding side of things? Like what, besides the school and, and doing those side of things, I, um, what, what all do you have on the go that side in the bull riding world in, in, in Canada? Tell the folks. You know, all I do is have, uh, I got a handful of uh, practice bulls around here. Uh, we buck bulls here out at the ranch every Tuesday night from 1st of May till then, middle of October. And uh, I help these kids get from uh, kind of from a, a junior steer riding or junior bull riding stage and introduce them into real bulls. And, and I get them kind of off the ground for the most part and uh and get them to transition from steers to bulls and that's something that i really enjoy and um and uh, it's my hobby you know uh it's my hobby and that's that's what i like to do it's how i i spend a good portion of my time it's kind of led to hauling these same bulls to high school events and junior bull riding events and stuff like that and i don't ever didn't ever care to be a stock contractor per se because uh, I'm always trying to put these kids on something that they can learn on and something that they can ride. And so uh, I don't feel like I got anything in common with stock contractors because they try and buck fall off. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank, thank you both. Thanks, Troy. Uh, thanks, Austin. I appreciate, appreciate you guys both doing this. This is awesome. Hope the school goes great for you guys. All thank right, you. Mike. Thank you. Thanks to Troy Dunn and Austin Beasy for making the time, man. I really enjoyed talking to, uh, talking to Troy. He had a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting, a lot of interesting stories. And just as far as like, I couldn't believe the part where he had a chance to have a share in the PBR and then didn't get it. But I think he still did good over the years on a few different parts. But if I were him, I'd probably have a bit of a sour taste in my mouth over all that throughout the years. So interesting, but you know, congrats to PBR Australia doing such a great job with, with uh, where it's at today and Austin being a, a big part of the original PBR Canada back in 06. And, you know, to see where it's at now, it's pretty neat, pretty neat. But, uh, but yeah, thanks again for those guys for making the show work. But Dustin, we were talking on the top half of the show about Cowboy Cerrone and getting on a bull in the PBR. So he's getting on a bull called Twisted Steel owned by UFC president, I guess, Dana White, right? Yep. That's right. So, I think this is another cool mashup. We're talking about mashups on the top of the show with Post Malone being at the American Rodeo. And, you know, I think this mashup to have a UFC fighter, like actual legit UFC fighter, who's, I think, just out of the game. Like, not, I don't think he's fought lately, right? Oh, I think he's like freshly retired. He's freshly retired. Yeah. Yeah. But did take on Conor McGregor at one point in his UFC career. Got his ass, he got beat a little bit. 
one. I did not win that one. But, oh, Cowboy Cerrone on a PBR bucking bull. Last time anything like this was even close to happening was uh, Chad Ochocinco, NFL football player. I think he was a, like a wide receiver or I forget. I don't know. I, don't, I wasn't into football at that point, so I don't know what Ochocinco did. But he got on a bull in Atlanta, Georgia. And they said the crowd for that thing was unbelievable. The amount of people that would come to bull riding that would never be at a bull riding before, like straight up football fans. And now we've got a guy in the UFC, which I think some of the UFC fans are probably closer to PBR fans than the average NFL football fan. But it's like action sport. It's probably yeah. the same similar demographic. Yeah. But what an amazing cross promotion piece. And I mean, I guess the UFC benefits, like it's all under the same, they're all under owned by the same Correct. company. Never. Yeah. Never owns the PBR. They own UFC. So there's, there's obviously a connection there, but the minute Dana White puts out anything, the, the audience you have is enormous. It's, Oh yeah. It's amazing. Like I can't imagine what that small, so it's $50,000 for him just to get on the bull hundred thousand dollars if he rides them, but you would never get that kind of publicity on any of those platforms with 50 grand. Not, not even close. No, not a, like nobody would give a shit if Jose was getting on something. That kind of promotion. So yeah, super cool. What's your prediction on how long you think he'll last? Oh man. I like the quote from Ty Murray. I probably better go back and find the exact quote. He, Ty had a quote in like, there's, there's a whole thing right now, a sports illustrated doing, uh, doing coverage on rodeo and Western sports and whatnot. Hey, have you seen some of that lately? No. Well, I seen the piece on, was that the piece on Nick? Was that in sports illustrated? Oh, maybe they, they just got a ton of coverage lately. I think a little bit of is, is a bit of There's like, a really cool story on Nick Tate's that's in oh. there and about him giving up a shot at a pro and junior hockey career to take on bull riding Oh, really? and released around the event in Madison square garden. And I thought it was really cool how they talk hockey and talk bull riding and talk both. Um, yeah. I think a lot of it is, uh, I don't know how it works, but I think it's a bit a bit submitted by certain people. So like a lot of the stuff in there right now is Andrew Gene Gola, who's a PBR uh, PR person, but he's written some really cool original stuff over there. So, so this quote I found, <laughs> I found in a story that, that Andrew wrote for Sports Illustrated. So it says, Cowboy Cerrone has as much chance of making eight seconds on Twisted Steel as I do knocking out Conor McGregor, said nine-time world champion Ty Murray. And I'm going to go ahead and say that Ty's take on this is accurate because, you know, I do got to give Cowboy Cerrone credit in saying that he has been on bulls in the past. And and I think when I was reading up on it, he had, you know, competed in high school and whatnot as a bull rider. So maybe that's kind of where he got his moniker. Like he grew up, I think he grew up in it, but I don't know. Like, man, those bulls are hard. Like I couldn't imagine riding any bull in the PBR let alone one that they they did a mashup of like both of the both of their records, and Cowboy Cerrone was like thirty six and three in the UFC, and Twisted Steel this bull was like thirty six and three in the in the PBR, so I I just it's like a zero percent chance here like there's no chance he's riding this bull, he's not in the one. middle, no oh he's got to get on like I don't know he's he's older like let me let me look at his stats here. Uh, how old is Cowboy? Cowboy. Uh, he's got the mechanics and the ability to ride good bulls. When he's you're four years old. PBR did the unfinished business that year. That's true. And the old boys came back. But 
They were world champions. Yeah, it was all Mike Mike White and Chris, Chris Shivers, Michael Gaffney, J.W. Hart. Yeah. It was really cool, but at least those guys like knew how to ride ranked bulls and like yeah, when they were forty. They were, so, but this isn't even close. This is not a chance. I think that some people that don't know a lot about it will be very surprised when they be like, "Okay, this guy is a professional athlete. He might be forty years old, but he's." just got totally annihilated by this bull in half a second. Maybe these bull rider guys are legit. You know, yeah. like I think, and I think some more of those UFC guys might take notice and I hope there's a ton of them there. And I, I, I think it would be cool though. If there was somebody in the UFC that like maybe was a borderline guy, maybe like not a top UFC guy. And they're like, shit, I'm not making it in the UFC. Maybe I should go into the bull riding side of things. And they like kind of take that as a jump, like a, you know, switching sports between the same company. If they're an endeavor, Endeavor guy, they're like, oh, I'm just going to jump the PBR instead. They're an athlete, and they can learn how to ride bulls, just like a bull rider could learn how to fight. Yeah, I wonder, totally. I wonder, like, kind of what what that would look like. I'm relational. Remember when we were supposed to go to China? They were training some uh, local China athlete that was in, like an equestrian to ride bulls. So yeah, it can happen. Yeah, it can. So zero chance that he stays on, but 100 percent chance that the money is going to go to the charity either way. Yeah, and. My prediction is one like like one point five seconds. Like, well, I'm not even giving him a second. I'm giving him like zero point. I think he's he's gonna open up his hand. He's gonna get blown out of there, and he's gonna be get, that'll be it. I think it's gonna happen so fast. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be surprised. It's, so, it's, but again, it's cool to see all the cross promo and to see the PBR come up in those kind of platforms and hundred percent multi multi sport marketing. It's good for everybody. So that's super cool. Absolutely, I'm I'm looking forward to watching it. So if you hadn't heard yet. Cowboy Cerrone is going to get on Twisted Seal from Dana White, PBR Buck and Bull at the PBR World Finals, AT&T Stadium, Arlington, Texas, May 18th is the date during the World Finals there. And I guess they got like Kid Rock's Rock and Roll Rodeo that weekend. So it's going to be another yeah. crazy week of Western sports there uh, in Arlington. going to be a good Yeah, they're doing a good job of, uh, you know, they got Kid Rock involved. I think Cole Hauser is like their official spokesman in the PBR. So, yeah, you know, reaching out to some heavy hitters to – get out of the market and i mean there hasn't been a lot of celebrity i mean i think didn't sylvester stallone didn't he have some bulls at one point or have sharing some bulls or was i don't that, know i remember he was at uh the, the event in la and he was on the shoot with dakota butter at one point yeah it's a big question i forget now no it's a cutting horses and stuff but i think he might have had a share in a bull and like who's the nfl player that had all the bucking bulls he kind of brought it allen he was in a long time he brought a new, you know, a new crowd to PBR with, with his NFL following and stuff. So it's, it's always good for the sport when they do that kind of stuff. Well, funny talking about Jared Allen, because he was, he had his Jared Allen's pro bowl team back in the day and he had his guys. And I it think he was, yeah, he was. And I think uh, I have to go back and listen to their show, but I think um, Jared Allen had a big push on the team side of things. And I'm kind of surprised he's not still like hadn't jumped back in at some point, but he probably spent a lot of money and didn't make any money at the time and maybe got sour on the whole thing, but like he was, a then he was of... just gone. pardon. It's like, then he was just gone. Like it was just, yeah. Like disappeared. I don't know whatever happened, but I don't know. He was a big part of the team's thing back in the day. Yeah. He wanted to kind of change the game and it just kind of hit it the wrong, maybe different timing here. But uh, anyways, I don't know where I was going with that, but I, I appreciate the, the cross promotion on the different, different sides of things. Yeah. 100%. Can't wait for me. It'll be a good show. Absolutely. Okay. Speaking of new stuff, though, too, we've got some new cowboy shit. Check out the website, cowboyshit.ca. We've got some new gear out there. 
There's a, a hoodie called Desert that's just hitting the shelves. Make sure you check that out if you haven't yet. It's going to be a hit here uh, on the uh, on the clothing side of things. Yeah, Dustin's got the 99. This one never made it to the uh, website, but you can probably still get, you might probably yeah. get a couple of, still at the Cheyenne Frontier Days gift shop. Make sure to check out Cheyenne website. They got a couple branded pieces with just that are just made for Cheyenne, so you can have some new ones this year as well, but make sure to check out the website. Got some promos going on right now, always. There's lots of stuff going on. Make sure to check out your local Western store. Get yourself some cowboy shit. Maybe a Montana Silversmiths jewelry set for your lover for Valentine's Day. It's coming up soon. Don't forget about that. It's always gifting season out there. Buckle. Yeah. Or a cowboy shit buckle, maybe a Montana Silversmiths. Or a necklace. Or a dog tag. Or anything you can dream up. Maybe some new Canada West boots. There's some new styles just hitting the shelf. It's the promo hour, Dustin. What, else, what, what do you got for the promos? <laughs> You know what? Just get that cowboy shit. We were at Lamley's downtown Calgary tonight. Oh, yeah. There you go. Seen some cowboy shit gear. So it's it's out there, people. Go get Love it. it. Love it. No excuses know. now. Cowboy okay. shit wild. We've seen, uh, we've seen cowboy shit hat in Vegas this week. Really? Uh, yeah. We've seen one at, person? seen one at the airport. Um, we've seen some cowboy shit at the last Rep Next game we were at. So it's just good to see it still bopping around. Is it allowed to be on the screen at the rough next game? I know it's a little more. Uh, we'll put it on there. Yeah. We, we're going to have a, we're having a rough next rodeo theme game at April 20th. So we're, we're expecting or 20. It's going to be a lot of people look like this at that one. Yeah. It'll be high. <laughs> hey, but it's legal in Canada. It's okay. We don't condone it. Yeah. But you know, it's 420 at the it's rough next rodeo. Be there. Or be somewhere else. Or whatever. Or that's, you know, it's cool. Hope to see you there. Anyways, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks to our guests this week. One more time, as always, Mr. Sean Morton and Miss Storm Defoe. Thank you all for listening. Till the work was done I was a preaching About the fires of hell If you want to drink the water Got to go to the well The cornerstone church Trying to curse my soul Give me that rock and roll